0: The world's best Carlson, Carlson, Carlson Hoi, here comes Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson Ingen, actually, ingen annan Carlson Will så bra som as me Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores Carlson, Carlson, Carlson. for tuning into another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their pool. keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, coming to you remotely from Seattle. And with me is my partner in crime, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Kahn.
1: Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. What a wild week it's been. We, Elon, you know how we talk at the beginning of the year, how you should not invest, and throughout the year, how you shouldn't invest a large acquisition cost. Like, don't spend a big trade chip or draft chip on a goalie we have so many examples of that this week it's amazing
0: yeah that's how i decided to frame this week's show we're going to talk all about goalies get everyone on tilt about the goalies they drafted maybe get people excited about some free agent goalies that they should start picking up or considering it's going to be a really fun show before we get into everything and also of course we'll do our regular injuries outjuries hot streaks cold streaks we've got you covered that's why we're the best fantasy hockey podcast out there brian because we're not going to leave any player undiscussed. By the way, I know I'm sounding a little bit weird. Like I said, I'm not in my normal recording studio. I think this is the first time I've ever recorded, not from my normal place, So bear with me. I feel a little funny.
1: Uh, (laughs) You sound subdued. Like I tried to bring a little extra energy with with me. Are there other people in the house that you're recording in right now?
0: I'm at my friend's house who has two kids (laughs) and they're like sitting down to like family dinner right now and I'm up. (laughs) in this like side bedroom and i'm nervous that they hear me and are making fun of me because they've never heard me talk in my podcast voice as opposed to my regular voice but brian what's okay what's the difference well normally i say hey hey guys how's going what's up <laughs> and then on the podcast, I'm like, all right brian
1: let's talk about the next
0: player <laughs> and first though of course let's mention that we are presented by dauberhockey.com which is the top fancy hockey website out there no question you've got the articles all the time like daily ramblings giving you the updates after every single day of games telling you what you need to know all the tools of frozen tools i use them all the time i use them to prep the show you got line combinations starting goalies everything's there so dauberhockey.com check it out brian like you said i want to get started with goalies let's just go over like all the crazy goalie situations and give people an update and maybe we could come up with a ranking as we go of what people should be doing here i want to start in st louis okay jake allen has continued to disappoint since the last time we talked about him after his 5-1 loss to minnesota last saturday he fell to a 4-3-3 record with an 879 save percentage just brutal the blues decided to give chad johnson a shot in their next game last wednesday versus carolina and he shined he stopped 38 of 39 in a 4-1 win and that earned him the start on friday versus san jose and he was even better he stopped all 33 shots for nothing win like okay then today actually so i i didn't i prepped this last night but i see that st louis played again today they lost to minnesota so i guess uh, chad johnson wasn't as good but he did get the third start in a row he led in three goals on 18 shots for the loss against minnesota but still brian at this point like how nervous would you be as an allen owner and how quickly would you be adding chad johnson as we go through these situations we'll start ranking like i said which backups are the closest to stealing the jobs like i know chad johnson did, didn't do great today but probably still better than jake allen would have done from what we've seen so far this season
1: yeah, or about as bad. I was gonna. M- my piece on Allen for the show tonight ends with let's see what happens today with Chad Johnson's second start before giving advice. And so I'll get to that. But first, let's just look at how disappointing Jake Allen has been. He's started 11 times this year, and he's only finished with a save percentage above 912 in two of those 11 starts. In another of those two, he managed exactly a 912, which is why it's the mark I chose all seven of his other 11 starts have been sub 890 for Jake Allen. Yikes. So that's not the resume of a goalie who should be starting for what should be one of the NHL's better teams on paper. We've mentioned that Jake Allen before, like sort of giving an excuse for him that he has a low expected save percentage and he's had it all the while. Like he's faced a difficult workload, but come on, at some point, You need to at least do only as poorly as like an average goalie would in your shoes. And Jake Allen has underperformed even a low expected save percentage. And you should at least be able to overcome those difficulties entirely if you are a legit NHL number one goalie. And Jake Allen has failed to do that. He hasn't stopped nine out of 10 shots in almost 65% of his outings. Uh, So he's having a lot of bad times out there. So are his fantasy owners. It's a wonder that up until Friday, given all of this awfulness happening for Jake Allen, that Chad Johnson had started just one game. Clearly the Blues were trying to get Allen going, believing in him, just throwing him back in the crease, saying, you're our guy, you're our guy, you're our guy, and getting let down over and over and over. But the door uh, to challenge Jake Allen now is wide open, and Chad Johnson got more than a foot in the door, a foot plus a couple toes in the door with that shutout against San Jose. Unfortunately, at least those toes have backed out of the door after a Jake Allen-like start in uh, between the pipes in today's game. And that's the thing with Chad Johnson. When you ask me how endangered is Jake Allen's spot as the number one goalie in St. Louis, it's to his benefit that the only backup at the moment is chad johnson and we had sort of earmarked Ville huso as a guy who could by the end of the year find himself in a position to push for starts but right now he's playing in the ahl and chad johnson is the nhl backup and that doesn't seem to be changing and for as long as that's the case i don't know that the blues really have a great goaltending option between the two of them
0: yeah like i don't know because you say like chad johnson had a jake allen like start today he only led in three goals i feel like jake allen would have led in five and then On how many cold. shots <laughs> yeah not that many shots but all that to say we've seen brian elliott take the job from jake allen we've seen carter hutton take the job maybe it's chad johnson's time uh or maybe like you say uh J- allen gets another shot i'm sure he will of all of these situations i think i agree with you that chad johnson is the least likely person to take a bit at some point jake allen has to do well or else maybe they bring up Huso. like who knows they got to do something uh i actually traded jake Allen. I drafted him in the couple. One of my dumb goalie drafting mistakes I traded him along with Alex Petrangelo to get Seth Jones I thought it was an obvious move of course the one flaw in my plan was that Alex Petrangelo seems to be heating up himself he scored a goal today he's now I think got points in like three straight games and also Jaden Schwartz someone that people have been worried about he got an assist today and Schwartz also had a goal and an assist yesterday we had a lot of people asking us if it's time for them to drop Jaden Schwartz he had been a big snoozer like going into yesterday's games he was at four points in 11 games now he gets up to like seven points in 12 it looks a lot better for him so i guess at this point we say that Jaden schwartz you have a stay of execution especially like he's still on the top line right he assisted today on a goal by tarasenko he's playing with like tarasenko and ryan o'reilly on the top line so how could you not want Jaden schwartz even when he's slumping like he's he's always someone that he's gonna threaten to score a goal while he's on the top line and we've seen him approach like a 70 point pace at times
1: Yeah, as we said last week about Jaden Schwartz, so long as you're managing your expectations about what you're going to get from him, he's worth holding on to. In some super shallow leagues, like you could let him go for another 55, 60-point player, uh, but in most leagues, you probably don't want to let him go. And just to close the loop on Chad Johnson, Elon, 18 shots against today uh, against Minnesota, and he stopped 15 of those.
0: Yeah, well, small sample size. 833, Got to take a look at what the shots were that went through, you know, <laughs> got to watch the games. None All of them were that-
1: on the power play.
0: <laughs> it was a Petrangelo goal, by the way, not a Tarasenko goal. Okay, next, let's talk about the Pittsburgh situation. Matt Murray's season has been such a disaster. I don't know, Brian. You could tell me if it's been worse or better than Jake Allen's. It's like just, they've both been really bad. I feel, I feel, like there's been a couple more good games for Murray, but he followed up a terrible five nothing loss to the Leafs last Saturday with uh, four goals against on 27 shots through two periods game versus New Jersey on Monday before he got pulled, and he hasn't been back in the net since. Casey DeSmith came in and stopped 11 of 12 in the third in that game. Then he got the Wednesday start. Versus Washington, where he stopped 20 of 22 in a two to one loss. And then just like Chad Johnson, this earned Casey DeSmith. Uh, weekend start, and he took full advantage. Yesterday, he stopped all 39 shots in a shutout over Arizona. So a lot of these backups getting shutouts to really make it seem like they deserve to get more of the net. At this point, Casey DeSmith is at a 9.42 save percentage in nine games. Matt Murray said it's at 8.86 save percentage in his nine games. It's not even like a small sample size thing like Chad Johnson. They've both played the same number of games, and DeSmith is destroying Matt Murray. DeSmith is having like a Vesta caliber season so far. Obviously, we have to see if he could get enough games to even be in consideration and first of all forget about the Vesna he's got to steal the job but it seems like maybe he has done it or will do it like I said he's had two starts in a row now how does DeSmith and Murray rank to you compared to Johnson and Allen and like is De Smith a must add at this point if he's available because Pittsburgh is a good team they could score some goals and right now Casey DeSmith is on fire
1: okay uh so just first to unpack when you're asking me how do I rank between uh, De Smith and Murray I know what you're gonna say Brian Allen. just like Make I just don't get it.
0: Make it yours. I
1: just, what do what are you asking me to uh, do?
0: Sometimes I feel like I could just throw something out there and you could, okay, how about this? Who's more likely to lose the job? That's like one way you could do it. Or we could talk about more in terms of like which starter is closer to being droppable. Or you could say which backup is the more must own. Like, I don't know, but whatever you are feel all like. They're
1: different questions. So I want to make sure that we set the expectation for how I Rank them so that it's clear what's being ranked. Okay, I'll clarify when I get there because I'm still not sure how I want to. I'll go back, though. When you started talking about Matt Murray, you said you had a feeling that he had had at least one better start, one more good start than Jake Allen. Well, Jake Allen had a quality start in four of his 11 outings so far this year, which is awful. Uh, Matt Murray, he's been on the right side of 900 just three times in nine tries. And like 900, like that's the bar we're setting, incredibly low. So 67% of the time, Matt Murray is blowing up your numbers and giving uh, his team and your fantasy team a very outside chance at picking up a win. And we've been signaling our interest in Casey DeSmith on the show and amongst our patrons-only Facebook group for a while now. Just like Jake Allen, you know, you're looking at Matt Murray and you're saying, how long do you let your guy quote unquote, settle in when he's clearly fighting pucks night after night after night. And let's also clarify who Matt Murray is, as we did in our almanac when we refused him entry into our top tier of goalies this year. Because he's a guy, uh, Matt Murray, he came in hot after that Marc-Andre Fleury injury in his rookie season, stayed that way to start his career in a successful playoff run. Then he did really well in a timeshare with Marc-Andre Fleury the next season. But going back to the start of 2017-18, so for the last calendar year plus a month, Matt Murray is now a 903 goalie who has been pretty much blowing it in six out of every 10 starts he's gotten. That is very dangerous. Like, why why even bother? So why not Casey DeSmith, right? The danger for Murray and a challenge from DeSmith is that Pittsburgh, unlike St. Louis, seems to be able to manage elsewhere on the ice just fine on, on a consistent basis. So you let DeSmith in the net. He plays just reasonably well. And the team in front of him makes it look even better because they'll get the win with just average goaltending they don't need anyone special i mean pittsburgh hasn't at all been the soundest team defensively this season but they have the high octane offense firing on all cylinders that can balance out a poor goaltending performance so casey Desmith really just has to do all right and he'll look pretty good on a team that can win nightly with an all right goalie and as you said elon casey Desmith has been more than all right he's been really good in the time we've seen him so far so if you're asking me to rank uh, Allen and Murray, like which guy should be more worried about? I would be really worried as a Matt Murray owner by now. He's burnt through the laurels. He was able to rest on for much of 2017, 18. And you've got Casey DeSmith, Smith who's unrestricted free agent next year. Maybe the penguins want to see what he can do for the team before, uh, they have to decide whether to let him walk or re sign him. I would add someone like Casey to Smith before Chad Johnson, just to so have a little more hope for his upside. And uh, you might even be a week or two behind in adding to Smith if that's suddenly your plan after listening to this. I think the Pittsburgh net might officially be, op- be open. It's Smith's job to win because I think Murray's already shown uh, no capability to hold the job. I think uh just because the smith to me seems like a more capable challenger than chad johnson and pittsburgh seems to be able to cover for an average goalie better than st louis kane at the moment i think murray is more likely to do, to lose his job before jake allen
0: yeah, the thing is, I feel like Matt Murray has shown us in his career that he's capable of being better than Jake Allen. But overall, yeah, it's it's a very concerning situation. And you said, Brian, that people might not have the chance to add to Smith, might be too late. I'm taking a look on Yahoo, Casey DeSmith, Smith only 17% owned, though I do have this spreadsheet that Patron Marcus made, which I think is a much more valuable percentage. It's the Kakupfel ownership. So the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, there's 16 divisions of the smartest fantasy players out there. In the Kakupfel, DeSmith Smith is 50% owned. So in, I guess, eight of the 16, leagues people have been savvy enough to grab casey Desmith. unfortunately he's already available in my league though brian he is available still in our joint league someone dropped him he's actually on waivers coming off tomorrow i think he might be worth a waiver priority and we don't even need him we've got four good goalies but uh, at this point it's like how can you just let this guy go we've got like brian elliott as one of our goalies who knows the next time he's going to get injured or or suck and then maybe Desmith will be a better option yeah, it's, uh, it's not a great situation as a Matt Murray owner. I, I, I feel like you're still not going to say people should drop him outright. Right. But like, maybe it's time to see if there's anyone in your league that's willing to take him in a trade and maybe sell low just to get something back for him. Like it's very concerning. Um, Another guy I wanted to discuss on Pittsburgh, kind of just like Jaden Schwartz, Patrick Hornqvist is someone I wanted to bring up as a snoozer today, someone who people have been holding on to, probably drafted him and wondering if it's time to finally let go. But hey, he finally did something yesterday. He scored a goal, his first point after a six-game drought, one reason to be optimistic that this will be the start of a run is that he was playing with Malkin yesterday after quite a long stretch where he was on the third line. He, he had been playing in the bottom six. and was like, oh, I don't want to hold this guy who's not doing anything and is getting crappy deployment, of course, aside from that top power play. Now he's back with Malkin. He scored a goal yesterday. So I feel like that means, just like Jaden Schwartz, I'm not ready to tell people to let go of Patrick Hornquist, But I'm curious to know, by like, how long would he need to slump before he'd be willing to cut him in most standard formats? I know Dave from the Stream Scheme podcast, which is a bonus podcast about streaming players in and out just available to our patrons he mentioned on the last one that patrick hornfist is like a 55 or 50 point ceiling guy anyways it's not as if he's worth so much but he always feels like he's worth so much because he's getting you so many peripherals with the shots and the hits plus he could get on a run so he's always playing with these great players he's on this great power play so what are your general thoughts on hornfist at this point Do you agree with me that now he's a hold if you have him in an ad if he's in free agency while playing with malkin
1: first, we need to clarify in some leagues he's more valuable, Patrick Hornquist, because he has nearly about two hits per game, about three shots per game. And it's a lot easier to hold him in those formats that count those because he's still doing stuff for you while you wait for him to score. In the others, Hornquist seems like a fringe own at this point for anyone who hasn't yet realized it. Hornqvist's days of playing with Sidney Crosby seem all but over. As of about 30 games into last season, uh, since then he's been playing mostly with Malkin and Haglin rather than Crosby and whoever. Uh, Hornqvist started the season with Crosby for a couple games, but has since bounced around with the inconsistent line mates, and that might have contributed somewhat to his inability to produce. But now he has landed once again with Gino and Carl. They're obviously worse places to be in the Pittsburgh lineup. To fall from Sid's line to Gino's line. That's such a bad thing to happen. But Hornfist has also lost about a minute per game of even strength time on ice. And uh, so that's a little concerning. Uh, most of his numbers look sustainable, too. So he's not on the wrong side of variance in too many spots either. Um, there is one number that really stands out when I'm looking at what he's doing. And it's not a number I reference, but it really sticks out like a sore thumb. He is starting of shifts of his that start with a faceoff just 35% of his shifts are opening in the offensive zone compared to 55% in the last few years, which hints at perhaps a more defensive deployment than in past years. Uh, it's obviously much nicer to start a shift by faceoff in the other team's zone than your own, um, so perhaps uh, that is a small factor here. Perhaps also Horncastle could be picking up another point or two on the power play, but really that's about it. Fifty-five points looks like looks like the best case scenario for him. But if you don't get help from his hits or shots, and you figure you can drop him and he'll stay a free agent until he gets going again, and you'll have the option to re-add him or. Let's say there are other 50 55 point guys available for you to just stream in if you can't get Hornfist back. I think you're 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 in a position where you can drop him.
0: Yeah, I agree for sure. Like, if you're in a points-only league, then I would be considering dropping Horkvist if you haven't already. Maybe you already have. I believe he's still here. Let me check this fun spreadsheet mark made. Horkvist is, at this point, 93.75% owned in Kakupful. I'm assuming that means he's owned in, like, 15 out of the 16 leagues. So someone has dropped him. I wonder if he'll get added at the start of next week after. We've mentioned him on this podcast after he scored that goal.
1: And in the couple, there is some residual value in hits and shots and block. Uh, yeah, I, hits and shots.
0: Yeah, shots are worth 0. 0.5. A goal is worth 4.5. So it's actually not that bad. If you have a guy who's going to get you three, four shots a game, that could be worth a lot, especially if there's obviously the chance that he's going to score a goal on some of those shots every now and then. Okay, another goalie situation. Well, I like this pattern, right? We'll do a goalie, to a player on that team. We'll work our way through the league.
1: Yeah, before we do, sorry, before we leave Pittsburgh, Jake Gensel, I just want to mention him, a goal and seven assists for eight points in his last eight games, which isn't something we really get to say about Jake Gensel a whole lot lately. He's up to 11 points in 15 games. Uh, Why? Well, he's a little more involved in shooting on the power play, albeit still on the second unit, so that's not so helpful. But uh, even on this stretch, he's put up uh, zero or one shots in four of his eight games And he's combined for 13 shots in the other four games. So, like, if you're, like, thinking of adding him and his shots matter, it's sort of feasts or famine in shots on goal rather than consistency, which is a bit of a downer. Uh, Anyway, uh, Gensel seems to be settling in just fine alongside Crosby after being shuffled in and out of Sid's wing spot for much of last year. Looking like he's got a 55-point year ahead of him, even with limited power play opportunities. So just wanted to shout out Jake Gensel, who I might prefer to Patrick Hornfist right now.
0: Well, Brian, I don't know if you've checked the Dobber line combos recently. It's been a few games since Gensel's been playing with Crosby. That's why it's kind of interesting that he's been able to get these points in the game. Yesterday, he was playing on a line with Phil Kessel and Riley Sheehan. Uh, Sidney Crosby was playing with Brian Rust and Dominic Simone. So looks like the Pittsburgh lines are shaking up a lot. So maybe everything we're saying is going to be out of date by the time the next game happens. But yeah, right now, Gensel's doing well and it's especially nice if he's doing well away from Crosby. Maybe he could do even better when he gets back with him, if slash when, I should say, of course. Okay, another team, another goalie that has been terrible we've already talked about a bunch on the podcast but like the situation is just getting worse and worse. Mike Smith was in Nets on Wednesday for a three two loss to Anaheim, where he stopped twenty one of twenty four shots, bringing him to a five five and one record and eight seventy two save percentage. A lot of these goalies are having save percentages in the eight seventies, which is just absolutely terrible. David Riddick got the call yesterday, and he was perfect. He stopped twenty one in a one nothing win over L A. and he's now five and one with a nine thirty five save percentage. David Riddick, what? So, Brian, It's like the same question as all these other guys. Like, how do Smith and Riddick? compared to these other goalie situations like murray and DeSmith smith like can people drop mike smith at this point it kind of seems like maybe like riddick looks so good should he be owned in all rosters like i'd be, actually forget about the st louis situation because it seems like you've already said that you, you see that as a little bit different than the pittsburgh one but like how does the pittsburgh situation compare to the calgary one for you can people be dropping smith and is riddick someone that you'd want maybe even more than casey to smith because i feel like matt murray has a better chance to bounce back than mike smith that's my gut feeling
1: it feels that way, doesn't it? With Mike Smith being as old as he is and looking as awful as he's been. But Matt Murray also hasn't shown us a whole lot more that we can depend on. I'll get to my my full answer in just a minute. But first, I want to mention, Elon, with you bringing up Mike Smith, you've now touched on three of the five worst goalies in the league so far this year, according to goals saved above average per 60 minutes. So Mike Smith, Jake Allen, Matt Murray. Can you guess who the other two goalies are in the bottom five?
0: Of like the worst
1: goalies? The, the worst goalies compared to what an average goalie would have done in their mm-hmm. same minutes.
0: And it's hard. I don't know. Uh, Tuka Rask, is he in there? Nope. Okay, Arizona, Anaheim, Arizona, Boston, Buffalo, Calgary, <laughs> uh, Carolina. Oh, Darling or Morozik or like one of those guys? No,
1: I, I'm also using a minutes threshold. So th- you, mm-hmm. you have to think of guys who have started Talbot. at least 10 Cam- games. Nope. Cam-
0: I don't know. I get Reimer, James Reimer. He's been pretty nope. bad. Uh, I, I, is this is interesting content for people. Uh, Mark Price.
1: Flurry. You would never guess Fleury and Martin Jones are the round out the five worst goalies and goals saved above average so far this season. It's a, it's a very interesting group in that they're all on teams that are at least should have been playoff teams and potentially Stanley cup contenders, uh, thank goodness for those Goldies. That the team in front of them is as strong as they are. Anyway, uh, to Mike Smith specifically, uh, there are two reasons for the Calgary Flames to continue throwing Smith in their net night in, night out. First, they're paying him five point seven million dollars this year. They made a bet on him, and they want to follow it up. Yeah. That could be one psychological reason, if not a good one. Uh, second, the Flames haven't had anyone else in their organization put together a string of very good starts uh, long enough to present themselves as a legit number one or 1A one option if Mike's, or if and when Mike Smith does falter or when Brian Elliott faltered. I imagine if David Riddick disproves the second count there that he can string together a sustainable run of good to great starts, uh, Calgary would happily overlook the contract they've offered Mike Smith and be happy to go for the win instead. Uh, but until Riddick does that, I don't think Mike Smith is quite droppable yet. I still get the feeling that Calgary wants Smith to be the one who works out and isn't really rooting for him to continue faltering while Riddick takes the net. And the way that they've distributed starts lately speaks to that. Um, But yeah, if you own Mike Smith... I wouldn't drop him yet because of that. But if you do own Mike Smith, you should be seriously considering a David Riddick handcuff or exploring another goalie option in free agency that could step in and provide you with some starts should Mike Smith finally get kicked out of the net because David Riddick mounts a serious challenge.
0: Yeah, and Riddick has been great so far. Like I said, like they can't be asking for anything more from him. So if Riddick's available in free agency, I feel like, okay, well, Brian, like uh, Riddick versus Casey DeSmith. Is it, I, I almost feel like it's a coin flip. Like, either of them, they're both looking great, and both of them seem similarly likely to steal the job. Do you concur, or do you have, like, one that you like a lot better?
1: I mean, here's the thing with Riddick. He has a 9.35 on the season – but his last few starts have been, or appearances at least, have been hot and cold. 21 safe shutout. Before that, he stopped 12 of 15. The game before that, he had a 966. The game before that, he came on. Uh, oh, gosh, I don't have it here with, with me. I'm not sure if he came on. He must have come on in relief and stopped 12 of 15 shots. So, uh, like, not just no consistency there. You're asking me whether I prefer Riddick to DeSmith. I'm going to lean to Smith as the guy I want most out of all the backups we've mentioned so far. And I guess that just reflects how down I am on Matt Murray.
0: Right. I'm just down on Mike Smith. But yeah, I'm I agree. so
1: down on Ma- I'm so down on Mike Smith too. I just don't know. Like, I feel like I'm more likely to get Three good starts in a row out of DeSmith, then from Riddick. And that's really what it's going to take for either of these guys to to make some headway in stealing starts long term.
0: Yeah, I just looked. Riddick is also only owned in 50% of Cuckupful leagues, which is a lot more than standard Yahoo, which of course means that Cuckupful leagues are smarter than most Yahoo leagues. So DeSmith and Riddick seems like a coin flick there. And we'll see how it shakes out. Just sucks to be a Matt Murray owner or a Mike Smith owner. Brian, I believe I'm a Matt Murray owner and you're a Mike Smith owner, right? In the Cuckupful?
1: our lives are terrible yeah
0: i don't know i might at some point i'm not holding on to murray all season okay if uh, if he's gonna be well, like that's this the
1: struggle like i feel more comfortable dropping mike smith than i would matt murray do you do you think you could conceivably get to that point
0: i don't know send me a trade offer anyone in tier two <laughs> Ottawa for matt murray you might be able to get him on the cheap because i don't want to deal with this tilt all the time okay uh So Matt Kachuk, we're on Calgary. I want to talk about Matthew Kachuk because he's now up to seven goals and 12 assists for 19 points in 17 games. Like Phenomenal. When we did our almanac over the summer, Brian, I was higher on Matthew Kachuk than you. I pegged him for 65 points. You had him down for 60 points. So far, we're both way off because he's playing at like a 90-point pace or higher. If you could change his number right now, would you do that and where would you put It seems like... Barring injury, it's gonna be like almost a sure thing that Matthew Kachuk is gonna break the 70-point club. And I could even see him being like a 75-point guy. Like he's on the top power play now. Like all the time before when he was more of closer to a 50-60 point guy, he couldn't get Calgary was being so weird and putting like not great players on their top power play. Now they seem to have it right. Kachuk is doing so well there. And I feel like we've got a superstar here. And like we really blew it with our projections. You blew it a little more than me.
1: Yeah, good Wait, good frame. I like that. Uh, a big part of Kachuk's surge this year, too, is thanks to his six power play points already. Uh, that means he's on pace for like 28, 29. It's a really good place that he's found himself on top power play locked in alongside Gaudreau, Monahan, and Lindholm. Last season, Kachuk was occasionally cycled off or playing in a three forward two defenseman setup that might not have been so optimal. And well, to be honest, I can't find uh, too much reason. Like I'm not saying those six power play points are unsustainable either. Like he's there and he's doing really well. And I looked pretty hard to find a way to frame the 70 points is out of reach for him and to be contrarian and to say that what Kachuk has been doing has been unsustainable. Um, and in that research, I found two flags. The first is that Matthew Kachuk's five-on-five IPP is way up at 90%, but it's also a little down on the power play. So that might wash out a little bit. And Kachuk's shot rates are down from last year, which is an odd way for him to get to seven goals in 15 games uh, on a slightly high shooting percentage, but Nothing wildly high either, really. Actually, if anyone can enlighten me, I I was trying to split apart his shooting context to figure out where he's getting these high-percentage shots in because he has uh, two goals on 21 even-strength shots or five-on-five shots, I should say. He has two goals on 13 power play shots on goal, but Kachuk has three goals on five shots In other situations that I can't quite divine, I don't know if they're four on four or six on five, but they're not shorthanded. And I don't think they're three on three because he has no game winning goals. Uh, Anyway, wherever he's getting these three goals on five shots, that's a little high. That won't last, but it's clearly a minority context. Like I'm happy to see that Matthew Kaczek has nice, sustainable goal scoring in the most common situations. That's very nice. So, look, I brought up a couple of reasons, like red flags if I squint, but on the whole, I don't really see any, and 65 would now be my starting point if I were putting down a new number for Kachuk. I would fall between there and 70 with a number not rounded to the nearest five points. That would irk and confuse you, Elon, and demonstrate my apparent Nostradamic hubris
0: yeah no one uh, no one gets this joke you're saying like but whatever okay yeah i like really? rounding to five points we'll have a big debate about it before we do our almanac next summer if we do it which was by the way the world's first ever uh, nhl audio almanac i don't know if you guys did that but yeah that was us but okay i like the idea of rounding the five points but yeah anyways matthew kachuk fantastic player all round we'll... to
1: 70 i'm with i'm there with you I might I be at like...
0: seven... i might be at I'm... 75 wow
1: that's great. That makes me feel better about being at 70.
0: I mean, Goudreau is going to be a 90, just like we projected. We got him right. Kachuk's there with him on the power play. Kachuk's got good linemen. I think James Neal's with him now on the second line. Finally, Neal doesn't have to get bumped by Austin Zarnick or whoever it was that was getting on the second line ahead of him. Like, it's a good, uh, he's just, he's in a really good situation. He's obviously a really good player. Uh, Brian, you know what else? You know who else is in a really good situation? Me. Who? Me. Because I'm traveling around. I'm exploring the world. It's a lot of fun. And one fun thing about traveling is being able to check out some fun local events that are happening where you're going. And that's why it's really handy to be aware of one of our sponsors for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. Because SeatGeek is the site that has the easiest way to buy tickets to any events or concerts or any of these sporting events of course and the thing is like getting generally getting tickets online could be far too complicated right like there's hundreds of sites varying levels of reliability you know the spiel like you you, you search you're like oh my god where how much is this tick? what's the service charge i don't even know with Seekeek? you're gonna get a reliable price that you're gonna be willing to pay you could sort by value you're gonna see the actual price like after all the fees you could actually see what the price is for tickets plus it's like super fun to even just open the app and see what's going on around you like i'm in seattle i i just opened it up and. Brian, actually here's a fun game for you so i don't know if you're aware of this but in america people really like this game uh, uh football uh, american football yeah it's like these guys and they buying their heads against each other they get concussions they're very popular and so okay here's two games that are the top two games on SeatGeek right now in seattle you can see the packers at the seahawks on november 15th or you can see oregon state at washington which game do you think is more expensive
1: I'm going to guess Oregon State versus Washington. Because no. you wouldn't be asking me this question otherwise.
0: No, it's a trick question. It's Packers ah. at Seahawks. 191, so. 191 to see Packers at Seahawks. Only 22 bucks to see Oregon State at Washington. Both great deals. Right? It looks like a really crazy time. People here love their football. And you know what? If you think 191 is too much to pay to go see a freaking NFL game, you can even see it a little bit cheaper if you're a listener of this podcast. Brian, tell us how.
1: Yeah, you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase if you remember when you check out to enter the promo code keeping, all you need to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code keeping, and that'll get you $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Life's an event, SeatGeek has the tickets.
0: They have the tickets. Well, actually, I don't think so because I think there's intermediaries and I think they're like connecting you, but the tickets will get to you. That's that's the main thing and they back it with some sort of guarantee, so you're you're good. Uh, you know who else is good? The Dallas Stars? I don't even know if that's true. Actually, they're fine. Uh, ben Bishop has been fine, actually, himself. He has a 6-5-1 record, a nine fifteen save percentage. Uh, that makes him actually a shining star compared to some of these other starters that we've discussed earlier, like a nine fifteen save percentage. Go put him in the Hall of Fame. But at this point, Ben Bishop has had three straights starts uh or three straight games below a 909 save percentage including an 853 save percentage outing in his 5-4 overtime loss to nashville yesterday and maybe more concerning if you're a ben bishop owner is the fact that he's only played in three of dallas's last six games anton hudobin has been getting regular starts and has been great he had a 2-1 win over toronto a couple weeks ago then he had a 2-1 loss to boston on monday stopping 33 of 35 he was in net for a 4-3 win on thursday versus san jose stopping 33 of 36 Hudobin overall in the season he's at a 926 save percentage in five games so better than ben bishop and he's getting starts so at this point brian should people that own ben bishop be concerned i mean not to the level of these other guys but it seems like maybe bishop is not the guaranteed guy to get you starts most of the time for dallas looks like they like anton Hudobin maybe almost as much
1: We've now seen three iterations of the Dallas Stars going back and forth between their goalies. Bishop, Hudobin, Bishop, Hudobin, Bishop, Hudobin over the last six games. Uh, But let's be clear at the same time, too. This isn't quite like a Murray, Smith, or Allen situation because Ben Bishop hasn't been all that bad, really. He has almost six in ten quality starts, uh, not playing so terribly according to expectations. Still below it, but not so far below it. Definitely not as far below as the other guys we've mentioned that we're concerned about. And Bishop also has a 9.15 save percentage on the year, which is really about where we'd expect him to be. And I don't expect Anton the Owl Hudobin to reliably beat that 9.15 number when he does get his starts. But of course, for the time being, Hudobin is beating that number. So it sure looks like a timeshare in the short term. And Bishop owners should be aware, but not terrified about it.
0: Yeah, the thing also with Ben Bishop is he's brittle, or maybe that, that's like my impression of him. I know you told me over the summer that maybe I was like overblowing it a little bit, but I think he Dallas is smart. He
1: reviewed reviewed like, his exact injury numbers and saw no real reason to believe in
0: the fact that he sure. might be brittle. All I'm saying is I think Dallas is smart to not play him too, too much. Try to preserve him and not have him break whatever bone I think he would eventually break if they wrote, wrote him too hard.
1: The smart thing for any NHL team to do would to find two cap to would be to find two capable NHL goalies and play them both for you know somewhere between thirty five and forty five games each. Split the workload, have them fresh, and then uh, then they're good to go come playoff time. And they always have a fresh guy running because they're well rested. And there aren't there seem to be enough goalies on the market to actually run with that strategy. But uh, no one's no one's really tried it at least willingly.
0: Well, it seems like Dallas is maybe giving it a go. And Hudobin is up to the challenge. And so, yeah, we might be seeing a lot of this going forward. Of course, the other big news out of Dallas is that John Klingberg underwent hand surgery on Friday. He's going to be out at least four weeks. Really tough break for Klingberg and his fantasy owners. Of course, Klingberg was well on pace to approach 70 points again with 13 points in 16 games overall. So now we've got Miro Haskinen. He was already on the top power play. Like we, I think we mentioned this on the last episode. He was playing, like they were going to defenseman and three forwards but now Miro Haskinen is the one defenseman on the top power play very unlikely to get bumped while Klingberg is out so yeah uh it seems like a really good spot for him and if he was a must own before which I think he kind of was in a lot of leagues now is he a must must own of course on the other hand He hasn't been like so many. He still hasn't been dropping in a bunch of points. He actually only had one shot and no points in yesterday's game, though he did play a whopping 29 minutes and 26 seconds. So you've got to think with all that ice time, including all that power play ice time, he's gonna start producing, especially with the pedigree that this guy has. So uh, like at this point, people just gotta grab Haskin, right? While you while you answer, I'm gonna check out what percentage of a couple leagues he's owned in.
1: That's great information. Can't wait for you to share. In John Klingberg's absence, You have to look at it this way. Miro Haskinen could play, say, 12, 15 games, and he's certainly going to be getting opportunities to show off what he can do on offense. It sure is disappointing that his first night, Salms Klingberg, uh, he was running the top power play, playing 29 minutes, and only picked up that one shot. Still, running the top power play and playing 29 minutes is a really great place to be for eventually putting up points. I would hope for at least half a point per game in Klingberg's absence for Haskinen. And he has upside, or at least I think he has upside for near Klingbergian production. So he is a must own at the moment. Everybody should be looking to own Miro Haskinen. I own him in one league, I'm looking at him in another.
0: Yeah, another reason to expect some more production to come out of Dallas is I read that Alex Radjulov could be back tomorrow on Monday. So that'll be good for Sagan and Ben, who haven't been like so, so amazing. And probably for Hayskinen as well, as that could be a very potent top power play when they have that third, really strong piece there. Uh, Let's go now to the Boston Bruins. I know we've covered the situation to death. I think I even said on the last episode after this, I'm not talking about it anymore. We've already said how lax the guy forget about it, but then to go uh, decided to go on a leave of absence hopefully everything is okay with him but obviously that warrants at least a short discussion where does it's only going to be for a few days he may even be back next week we don't know yet if like this leave of absence has to do with the fact that he's been that he's been like not playing great or might be completely unrelated but anyway this gave Halak Yaroslav Halak a chance to redeem himself after his first bad start of the year on Thursday where he let in five goals on 19 shots before getting pulled versus the super high scoring Vancouver Canucks and Brian side note I think people need to start being nervous about starting goalies against the Canucks which is something I don't think we've ever said on the podcast but this is one of the high scoring teams in the league anyways Halak got back in the net yesterday he stopped 40 of 41 in a 5-1 win over the Leafs and Bruins are playing again today against Vegas and Halak got the start again so that's like three starts in four days and Halak once again is doing really well I'm seeing here on ESPN it's like three to one uh let me get whatever he's only letting one goal he's probably doing very very well and he's just a great goalie and there's really nothing else to say about that Except to ask you, at what point do people just drop Mike Smith? Uh, I mean, sorry, not Mike Smith. Well, him, we him, we already discussed about. At <laughs>
1: what just point? So, po- so obsessed with dropping Mike Smith.
0: <laughs> yeah, do that. But if not, well, at what point do people start deciding whether or not they should drop tuka Rask? Right, like Halak is doing so so well. Rask has been terrible. It's just becoming harder and harder to imagine Rask taking the job back. And if someone's listening to this podcast, they have Tuca Rask, they're hearing us talk about Riddick and DeSmith and saying how good these guys could be. At what point do we just suggest,
1: yeah, make the swap? It looks like the job competition for number one in Boston is pretty much over. I'll still repeat what I said last week about the split between Halak and Rask, which is that I think the Bruins will forever be ready to give Tuca Rask a shot after a bad Halak outing and then let Rask hold the net so long as he keeps playing well. But that still makes it Halak's job to lose, as tenuous as it may be at times. And I also don't know how many sustained great starts Tuka Rask can really string together if and when he does get those opportunities. Uh, so I'm looking, in terms of start, rest of season, who's going to get the most? I still think Rask is going to get more than De Smith and Riddick, so you might not want to drop him just yet. But... I wouldn't mind taking an upside swing at someone like Desmith or Riddick, since Rask may not be worth a whole lot to you anyway in your league. Like if he's near bottom of the barrel for owned goalies. Uh, DeSmith probably offers more upside than Rask does. Rask obviously remains the conservative play. I still think he's going to get 30, 35 starts total by the end of the season. Uh, You can't say that about someone like DeSmith or Riddick, which is why I sort of prefer him. But if I really want to swing for the fences, if I have a lot of ground to cover, I might go with DeSmith.
0: So I read an interesting Daily Ramblings. Brian, I'm going off the cuff here. This is just something I, I thought of. I, I don't even remember which Dauber writer wrote it, but he was saying that when you play fantasy hockey, you have to play to win and not to like you know come in fifth place or third place or whatever. I wonder if like if you're holding Tuca Rask and leaving someone like DeSmith or Riddick on, uh, on free agency, letting someone else get them, are you really playing to win? Like We already know that Rask isn't going to be the starter. It's saying maybe you get 30 starts from him. They might be bad starts from what we've seen from him. Meanwhile... I don't see why, like, someone like David Riddick can't... Like, he has a very decent shot to get more starts just because of how bad Mike Smith has been. So I think it's an interesting strategy. I know you're, like, a conservative guy, and you win most of your leagues, so obviously I can't throw too much shade at the way that you play, but just something to consider. Like, I just wonder if sometimes a move could be too conservative, and you might... Yeah, you might miss out on it and like even in the worst case scenario i don't know obviously the worst case scenario if you drop Tukarask rask is he becomes a starter again in boston's an amazing team you're dropping like a top fantasy goalie but it just seems so unlikely at this point
1: yeah it just depends on the context of your league if you're playing from from first you might play a little differently than if you're playing from fifth or eighth or last and of course if you look if, if you look at it in points value and you say well by the end of the season uh, Tukarask is going to have 20 fewer points than Casey DeSmith. Like if we could look at our crystal ball and know that that's a 40 point swing that you just gave up on whatever opponent added to Smith. So it is a big deal. And part of the game is also trying to keep other people from being able to make these high upside plays to come at you. I just don't know that I'm quite at the point where, i'm ready to to think that rask is for sure going to be so useless like mostly useless uh but not so useless uh, as DeSmith has potential to be right there's a lot of downside there too but i also don't know if you characterize my opinion like that properly like i said R- rask is the conservative play but me i would be very interested in taking that upside swing on DeSmith. yeah and uh I guess
0: it also depends. Like, like what you said actually was very interesting. Like if you're like not doing well so far, then you're maybe more inclined to want to take one of those swings, just like you said, like, cause you're not doing well, how things are going anyway. So I do sometimes see people do things like say things like that and then make a terrible trade but i needed to shake things up and it's like okay you made your team worse okay now good luck winning but uh, i could talk about this stuff all the time it was, i love in our summer episodes we get to talk about general fantasy hockey strategy but probably we need to move on to another team with a bad goalie situation actually one that i wasn't even planning to talk about but i saw in the chat room here marcus is saying man the devils are brutal right now and it, like the devils yeah they're struggling and also like Corey schneider like jeep G- Jeepers creepers, Jeepers. Brian, like he's bad. He's now let in five goals on 19 shots today. So that's a 7.37 save percentage. Winnipeg's currently winning five to two. I'm surprised that Kincaid is not already in the net. Like I just, uh, I think this guy's yeah. done and we already said it. We already said it in the last episode. So forget about Corey Schneider, I, him. I'd totally be comfortable saying drop him. He's going to, he's going to burn you all the time. The devil's actually also, I saw this morning that they were going to be sh- shifting up their lines. They put Travis Zajac on the top line with Holland Palmieri and his year got bumped. Uh, not working out too well for them in this game we'll see uh, you know we'll see how long that lasts
1: Zajac's been on a nice little run though he, before tonight he had goals in his last three games on nine shots which is uh, more shots than we're used to seeing Travis Zajac taking in a couple games before that run started he had a couple assists so he, he he makes for a good streamer if the schedule works out but right now I have no idea it, except for rest I don't know why the Devils wouldn't be playing Keith Kincaid, or maybe I should reframe. I don't know why the Devils would be playing Corey Schneider. There was a moment, Elon, it's over now because the Devils have another shot, but both teams had given up 19 shots uh, just over halfway through the game and Winnipeg was winning 5-2, and that just tells you all you need to know About Corey Schneider and what he's doing for his team these days.
0: Yeah, not too much. One thing about the goalie strategy thing, I think I've said this on a previous episode, but sometimes if you're too afraid to drop Tuka Rask for a DeSmith, then maybe you add DeSmith and drop someone else. And even though your strategy generally isn't to hold four goalies or whatever, hold four goalies for the next couple of weeks, see what happens, then maybe make the decision in four weeks whether or not to drop DeSmith or Rask for that final spot. So that's something you could always consider as well. Brian, we have four goalies in one league, and I still want to add DeSmith. I want to have the fifth goalie, though in this league, there's a lot of bench spots. So it is valuable to have maybe a couple more goalies but okay the next team i wanted to talk about with a very concerning goalie situation like not a goalie controversy over in montreal that's where i'm going it's not a controversy because anti Emi is Antiniemi. Emi, so it's not as if he's going to be stealing any starting jobs anytime soon but like good god what is going on with Carey price the Habs are finally, like, getting some decent run support. Like, they're scoring goals. They're giving Carey Price everything he should need. But this guy can't stop a puck. He's up to five straight games with a save percentage below 900 after the 6-5 overtime loss on Thursday. He has an 892 save percentage in 12 games on the season. Like, is this just another Corey Schneider situation? Like, is Carey Price just bad now and that's it i've been seeing some talk about oh it's like a mental thing it's not physical and I think it was like marty brodeur or some like goalie famous old goalie was saying how like he still thinks that Carry price is the best goalie in the league but these numbers are ridiculous like i'm just wondering brian what you would do right now there's not much you could do ah as a carry Price owner in fantasy, like, if I was one, I'd be trying to probably trade him and then maybe regretting it later. But I feel like I'm of the mind right now. Like, I don't want to hold on to these goalies because it's so concerning. And, like, carry Price, like, Montreal, the thing is that Montreal's looking like a decent team. Weber's going to be back soon, right? So that's maybe the one thing that if you're a Price owner, you could hold your hat on and be like, oh, once Weber comes back, everything will be fine. But I don't know if that's just like a, a fool's prayer.
1: It might be a fool's prayer. Carey Price so far is pitching the same quality starts ratio as Matt Murray. Price has finished with a sub-900 save percentage in eight of his 12 starts, including his last five, as you mentioned. Elon, I don't know what we can wait for with Price. Right now, you say maybe Weber will help fix things. Well, Montreal has the eighth lowest five-on-five expected goals against rates in the league, and Carey Price's own five-on-five expected save percentage – is mid pack amongst regular starters. So like this is pretty squarely on carry price. Uh, here's an interesting comparison, though. Connor Hellebuck doing about is bad in most comparable numbers. Uh, Hellebuck, by the way, has put up at least half decent numbers in barely 40% of his own starts and is barely keeping his head above 900. But Hellebuck somehow has a 909 that masks the differences in play more than Hellebuck might deserve between him and Price. But going back to Price, um, look, uh, and Niemi, Price is still only two save percentage points behind Niemi. So it's pretty much the same thing you're going to get from each of them. Niemi remains no threat to the starter's job long term. But it's pretty wild that we're wondering if goaltending is the Achilles heel of this Montreal team rather than its only strength
0: i know that that's what it used to be like at least they have Carey price so they're a threat to win any game they play i I remember saying that exact phrase on the podcast now it's it's the opposite you've got guys like max domi domi's on a six game point streak three of them multi-point games he's up to nine goals and 21 assists like or no 21 points in 17 games on the season like max domi's having a career year unfortunately he's not getting the goaltending from Carey price but i did want to bring up domi brian i know that he has a high shooting percentage but you could like take away six of his nine goals and he'd still be on track to hit 70 points this season do you think he can do it are we Going to be welcoming Max Domi to the 70 point club at the end of the season?
1: No. (laughs) I'll cut to the chase. No. Whereas we were talking about Matthew Kachuk and saying, I can't find a reason to think he's going to get knocked off this pace, uh, Max Domi strikes me as a really great sell high option. And remember last year, it's not that we don't like Max Domi. Even when he was struggling, I was still trying to believe that he could. Fall into a 60-point pace at some point. Never considered him as somebody who had 70-point upside, though. And this year, even with this start from Max Domi, I'm not ready to change my mind that he could be more than a 60-point player. At 5-on-5, Domi has six goals on 25 shots, so scoring on 24% of his shots, 93% IPP, almost 14% on ice shooting percentage and no noticeable bump in his underlying numbers either. He's getting a couple more scoring chances each night. So grant him that, but not so many more that any of these numbers, these super spiky percentages uh, make any kind of sense. And same story on the power play three goals on seven shots, 88% IPP on ice shooting percentage, actually okay for the power play, uh, but no noticeable bump in any of his individual offensive generation stats. So, Uh, red flags everywhere there can be red flags something's gonna give here with max domi and it's gonna be rough for anyone wanting to hang on tight to him throughout the bad times likely to come Or at least not the bad times but the fall off he's not this good and so max domi presents an excellent opportunity for his owners to cash in and acquire another legit any guy who you can count on for more than 65 points that's someone you want
0: interesting okay and you could always tweet at us at keeping crowds and let us know if you have a specific max domi trade you want us to weigh in on like don't sell too low now though of course you could ask the jonathan taves owner in your league if he wishes that he traded he or she wishes that they traded jonathan taves back when they had the opportunity when he was on an amazing streak just like this and they'll say oh i wish i did now i have this like slumping guy that elon and brian are going to talk about later in the show as someone that's a snoozer that maybe you have to think of dropping so uh but max domi i don't know obviously right now he's riding high but that's maybe what separates the the great from the good fantasy players being able to take advantage of these streaks though obviously right now you're really enjoying his production and couldn't blame you for just holding on and riding this wave Uh, another team brian let's talk about something positive now all these like crappy goalies here but like you know who's been under the radar pretty great lately Jimmy Howard of the Detroit Red Wings, his three, two win over the Rangers on Friday was his fourth win in a row. He's now five, five and one on the year with a very solid nine eighteen save percentage, like a nine eighteen save percentage. Isn't going to, you know, win you trophies, but that makes you an above average goalie in the league. And you know, like I, I, I there's not much more I can say about Jimmy Howard. Like, kudos to anyone who drafted him late or picked him up in free agency like with goalies at this point like why like I feel like such a dummy that I drafted Matt Murray and Jake Allen the couple I could have gotten Jimmy Howard in the last round and I'd be better off for it plus I'd have some amazing skater like pretty good skater. I would have drafted in that spot where I took Murray and Allen so I don't know I feel like next year just frick like punt like Dave said it in the chat room here like punt hashtag punt goalies it's hard not to recommend that wait till the end of the draft get a starter you never know
1: yeah, and when you say Jimmy Howard is great, let's just remember that it's all relative, right? A 918 save percentage isn't great. It is enough to rank him 11th in the league and save percentage was probably where a 918 belongs. And Jimmy Howard is earning it at five on five because a shorthanded save percentage is not propping him up at all. There's no crazy overperforming on the penalty kill. Uh, but Jimmy Howard certainly is outperforming his five on five expected save percentage by a modest amount. Do I think he can keep it up? Well, Howard's a guy who has outperformed his expected save percentage just once in the last four years, and that was back in 2015-16, but he also hasn't been so far below it in any of the others, so Howard is someone who could hover around league average. Elon, it's funny because we're taking points off of goalies in our rankings and our tierings left and right for being old and having injury history, and Howard ticks both of those boxes, yet he's still doing okay. Goalies! Goalies! How about him? Anyway, Howard is a, a middling goalie at the end of the day on a sub middling team. I very much appreciate that he has only blown three out of 12 starts this year. That steadiness that's been hard to find around the league. Uh, just don't fool yourself into thinking that Howard is a great goalie in a great situation, but very, very serviceable.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would take this, but if someone were to throw me a, a trade of Jimmy Howard for my Matt Murray, I would. I don't know. It's like I'm at that point, right? I'm tilting okay and i love this term by the way uh the average time of on ice people who i've been talking about a lot on the last few shows they have this amazing twitter account they actually took over our twitter account yesterday it was so fun amazing funny tweets the whole way through it's uh at avg time on ice i think on twitter and they have a great blog we've talked about them a lot but yeah they introduced this term to me tilt was apparently a gambling term maybe uh our my best friend daniel Negreanu can let us know uh, if he's ever used this term i guess it's the idea of when you've already like played your chips so you've already sort of like you're in and you can't make any more decisions and you just have to watch and hope that luck falls your way. And then you're tilting when things are not going the way you were hoping. I feel that all the time as a Matt Murray owner. I'm telling you that.
1: Elon, so would you accept Matt Murray for Jimmy Howard? That's what I just said. I like. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't like MASH
0: accept, but I would definitely have to stop and think about it. Maybe throw in a sweet, you know, if you're going to send me this trade off or maybe throw in someone else along with Jimmy Howard. To
1: If I own if- Jimmy Howard in your league, I feel like I would try that.
0: Yeah, also in the Cupful, don't forget that there's not as many points for wins as in most fantasy leagues, and I'm very proud of that, actually, for the Cupful. I think we designed a very cool league where we give a lot more to a goalie playing well and playing a lot versus necessarily winning games. So even though Detroit isn't as great a team, that uh, Jimmy Howard could still be a valuable guy if he's going to get a lot of saves. Of course, a really valuable guy in our format that maybe isn't as valuable in other formats is Craig Anderson, who's having an okay season, like better than some of these other starters. He's 7-5-3 and three with a nine oh five save percentage. But check. this out he's leading goalies in saves so far and it is not close he's got 523 saves in 16 games next comes john gibson with 467 saves and then there's henrik lundqvist at 407 saves we're talking like over a hundred saves above the third place guy craig and like ottawa's letting in a lot of shots and craig anderson's stopping an okay number of them so at this point i feel like he's someone that i'd maybe like i'm happy he's actually my third goalie in the Cupful, and he's been pretty great for me and if your league counts saves i feel like you you're really happy with craig anderson because he's like helping you run away with the categories like having borowiecki in a league that counts
1: hits Totally. And here's a really fun one. I think this is my favorite fact of this episode and maybe of our season so far. Right now, the Ottawa Senators are allowing more shots per game than any NHL team ever. This is their Stanley Cup, the shots on goal against per game. The Senators are presently averaging 38.6 shots on goal against per game. For context, Anaheim is the next worst a couple shots behind and the only teams to ever finish a season averaging above 38 shots on goal against the 1962-63 New York Rangers and the historically bad 74-75 expansion Washington Capitals. So in leagues that count saves, Craig Anderson is holding more value in that category than anyone ever, including New York's Gump Worsley or Washington's Ron Lowe, Michelle Bellhumer tandem. And by the way, Michelle Bellhumer, what a fantastic last name to play goaltender for that 74 Washington Capitals team. And given all these shots, Craig Anderson is still managing to perform just below an average NHL goalie's capabilities given his particular workload. But that's even kind of an unfair measure since few, if any, NHL goalies have ever really faced the kind of workload that Craig Anderson is. He deserves all the credit in the world for facing all these pucks and stopping as many as he is.
0: Yeah kudos craig anderson that's how it goes when it's a season that starts with an even number craig anderson plays well we we talked about all of that in that almanac i talked about before i don't know why i'm bringing that up so much considering it's not even for sale anymore so ottawa uh more about the ottawa senators they got brady kachuk back into their lineup last week after he missed around a month he had nothing in his return versus vegas on thursday aside from a shot five hits three blocks this guy's going to be a peripheral stud uh yesterday he scored a goal and he had a power play assist in the 6-4 win over tampa he was playing with stone and colin West and got some decent power play time of course ottawa played today so maybe i should give you guys some more updated numbers ottawa lost five to one to florida it wasn't anderson and net, by the way they were playing uh mckenna mike is it mike mckenna
1: mike mckenna
0: mike mckenna was in net uh brady kachuk no points four hits uh so yeah, n- not the best game for him, two shots, but this guy seems like a stud. Like at this point, after yesterday's game, he has eight points in seven games, a higher pace than his brother, I believe, or maybe very close to it. So how do you expect Brady to be rest of season? Is he like the third best forward to own on the sense after Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne? Is he better than Dezingo? Like at this point, I feel like Brady Kachuk is looking like he's going to be a really valuable asset in fantasy, especially in multi-category leagues.
1: Before I answer that, you said, is he better than Zingle? Let's quantify Dezingle, who is now officially on a five-game point streak with goals in four consecutive games. Uh, he is maintaining about a 50% shooting percentage over that stretch, so don't get too excited. But it is something, and that's a bar for Brady Kachuk to clear. Uh, he's up there with Ryan Dezingle. He has four goals on his last 18 shots, uh, 15% percent on ice shooting percentage, also kind of concerning. Uh, So those are two markers of unsustainability there, but perhaps Brady Kachuk can make a run at second place in Calder voting.
0: Yeah, I guess that is up for grabs. I did I posted on our Facebook group, like what are the odds that Elias Petterson doesn't win the Calder Trophy? I was putting like a hundred to one. That might even be like too low, right? Like Petterson is running away with this thing. I feel like this is the earliest in a season that the Calder trophy has been wrapped up. And don't forget, Connor McDavid didn't win the Calder Trophy. It was a uh, Panarin that season because McDavid got injured. Anyways, uh Brady Kachuk, he is owned in forty two percent of Yahoo Leagues. Brian, you want to guess his percentage ownership in the cupful? hundo it's a hundred everyone wants brady kachuk and i actually am the owner of him in tier two ottawa he's still on my ir and i got killed this week he wouldn't have helped and now ottawa doesn't play again until thursday so now i have that really tough decision where i could leave him in ir until thursday rather than having in a roster spot that's not getting games but then i can't make any ad drops and streams earlier in the week which is annoying but I think I'm going to leave him there and then hope that my roster is going to do well enough for me. Uh, but no one cares about that. Let's talk about another player on the Ottawa Senators. I know I've been going one goalie, one player in on every team. But how can we not talk about freaking Thomas Chabot, who, at least going into today's game, he had 22 points in 17 games, which was good for fourth in league scoring, a tie for fourth. Like, I'm not talking about fourth amongst defensemen, right? Like, fourth overall in league scoring. You got Bergeron. Ranton, in again, this is before today's game because Boston played as well, but I, I hear Bergeron and Ranton both with twenty four points Mcdavid with twenty three points and then Shabbat Giroux and McKinnon with twenty two points wow. insanity Brian like as a Eric Carlson owner I'd Again, this is one of these things where it's like maybe someone in the chat room will tell me I'm dumb to even say that I would ever get this offer. But I'd have a hard time not accepting an offer of Shabbat for EK65 if that got thrown at me, which I feel like it almost certainly will not with the way both of their seasons are going. But like, how is this happening? How good is Thomas Shabbat? Like, I know that probably, like, I just feel like wet blanket Brian is going to say sell high time if you could get a 50 point defenseman or something. But like, how? Like, you haven't said it yet. And I'm already like, Brian, how? No, it's not. (laughs) And we had a tweet from at Chris Traveler saying, just a thought, change the cast to keeping Shabbat. And like, we've gotten that actually a lot lately. And you know what? We can't call it that because neither of us have Thomas Shabbat in our fantasy leagues because we were dumb and we didn't draft him. And if it's a keeper league,
1: we may never have the chance. So if I'm in your league, Elon, I'm throwing that offer of, of Shabbat for Carlson at you. Shabbat has been incredible and Ottawa can thank their lucky stars. That they picked Shabbat and he's ready to pan out the moment. Carlson leads the lineup. That said, Shabbat is not Eric Carlson in a few ways. Uh, Carlson has been great in every way outside of the score sheet, but uh, Shabbat has actually been better than Carlson in some ways. First, uh, one thing that certainly won't continue for Shabbat is an even strength on ice shooting percentage that's up at 15%. That's like a good 6% above where it could and should be. And that's what's helping Shabbat rack up plenty of extra assists And by the way, the breakdown of those assists, four primaries, 13 secondaries, which is not a great ratio. That's not a sign that he is genuinely creating a whole lot of offense. It's a sign that, hey, he's getting in on a lot of goals that he might not have had such a huge hand in creating. And so uh, maybe he's getting a few more points than he should because of that. Uh, But one thing for Shabbat that is also high, but I'm wondering if it could hold is Shabbat's shooting percentage. He's now scored 14 times in his career on 143 shots. That's a 10% shooting percentage. And it would rank as one of those top end converting uh, defensemen shooting percentages. Ryan Ellis is the example we most often bring up. There's a very small group of defensemen in the league who can convert above eight, on above 8% of their shots. Um, but I wonder if Shabbat is going to be one of those guys. 143 shots is not a big enough sample size to know, but he's like halfway there to making a sample size that would make me believe uh, to some extent that he's got a shot. And one thing that Shabbat has on a lot of members of that high percentage converting group of blue liners is that Shabbat takes more than a couple shots per game on average. And at five on five, Shabbat's attempting and registering more shots on goal than Eric Carlson had in any of his final four seasons as a senator. So how about that? Anybody looking to make the direct comparison can proudly say that Shabbat's rate stats for shots and shot attempts are higher than Eric Carlson's from the last four years. So that makes this legit exciting what Shabbat's doing. I am very interested to see what Shabbat is going to do once his on-ice shooting percentage falls to a more reasonable level, once he's not relying so much on secondary assists. I imagine he still lands around where like 45, 50 points, which I know is boring. And 50 even seems like strong, but there's just a lot going really right for him. Seems like a pretty good sell high candidate, Elon. Are you mad? I'm
0: not mad. I, I knew it was coming. I've been prepped for this ever since I started prepping the show. I've been prepped for this ever since I started getting points. But the thing is, when you say like 40 point fi- or whatever, 50 point ceiling, whatever, whatever exactly you said there, it's like uh, right now he's like above a point per game, right? So even if he slows down a lot, he could still be like a 60 point defenseman. I don't know, maybe at this point, like Tyson Barry level. And we'll get to him in a little bit. Uh, I love mentioning players, the teasing that we're going to talk to them about. What's with Tyson Barry being off power probably one? That makes no sense. We'll get before to before we
1: leave Colorado. Sorry, or no, before we get to Colorado, who aren't mm-hmm. even next. But before we leave Ottawa, can I just shout out quickly, Colin White, who's uh, on a bit injured. of a run. Who's injured? Yeah, yeah, he only, he missed like the second <laughs> half of the first period, and it turned out he was injured, but. When he's healthy, uh, his production has been a pleasant surprise because he was was a highly touted prospect for Ottawa, and then uh, expectations really dropped about the moment he started playing NHL games last season, and expectations were low going into this one. Uh, But now he's entered not own territory, but stream territory, thanks to three goals and one assist for four points in his last three games, 10 shots over those three games for Colin White. Uh, His time on ice was going up, uh, had an occasional top power play role, Uh, So these are all promising things that in deeper leagues. Yeah, Colin White, not an ad, but a stream.
0: Yeah, or maybe now he is an ad. If like, apparently he got injured, like you said, in today's game against Florida and so if, now if you could stash him in your ir like if he's in free agency right now and you could get him if you're going to be adding someone else anyways maybe add colin white first stash him in your ir plus spot and then add someone else and then you could wait and see if maybe you want to hold colin white later on so there's always that opportunity when a player gets injured Brian so okay if you are like me and you're tilting you're on tilt because you didn't draft thomas shabbat and you're going to regret it for the rest of your life the good thing is you could still have thomas shabbat on one of your fantasy teams and the way to do that is to play daily fantasy with our sponsor for this week's episode which are our friends over at Fan." Duel. Fan duel is a way to play daily fantasy hockey. It's like fantasy hockey, but for everyday fans. Just like you listeners. You also play fantasy hockey for hardcore fans. It's for everybody. There's new contests starting every day. You play whenever you want. You play every single day if you want. And every single day, you have a completely new roster, new players to cheer for. There's something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from. Starting at just $1, you pick a contest, you choose your team, and then you watch your score in real time. Brian, we've been doing our fan duel Keeping Carlson Listener League every single week. And uh, last week, Brian, for I think the first time ever, you and I both landed in the top five and landed in the money. It was a fun matchup on Tuesday. I came close to doing a lot better, actually. I had Jack Campbell, and he was pitching a shutout going into the third period if he would have held that shutout i would have even beat you brian but in the end i had 210 points you had 213 points maybe i shouldn't be pinning my success <laughs> on uh, jack campbell having a shutout though he has been pretty freaking good recently the winner though was neither of us it was boss haas who came in first frankly i'm happy to have a winner that wasn't a name that's making fun of me but boss haas did a great job he grabbed petterson Braden Point nikolai goldobin like all of them had great games yanni gourd like it was like my lineup was really good like almost all my players got points but boss Haas was able to pick all the guys as well he of course had thomas shabbat who for ottawa's 7-3 win over new jersey had two assists one block a goal a power play assist nine shots obviously that was a winning guy to own right there man shabbat's good and Fanduel's good it's a lot of fun so brian why don't you tell people how they could get in on our weekly Fanduel listener league
1: yeah, and draft anyone who you wish you had on your fantasy team. I had Shabbat. I actually made a lineup that paid homage to some of the uh, Ottawa Senators' Uber crew. So I had Duchesne, Shabbat, and then I also had Dezingle and Craig Anderson in there. Craig Anderson counts because his name was mentioned inside the Uber. Um, and if only he got a shutout, Elon, I would have been first. Just three fewer goals given up, I would have been laughing. Anyway, if you would like to join us for this week's listener contest on Tuesday... All you need to do is head on over to FanDuel.com slash Carlson, spelled the same way as Eric's last name. That's FanDuel.com slash Carlson. If you're new, you'll also get a $5 deposit bonus when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Come play with us. It'll be fun. Uh, pick a name that tries to embarrass one of us. I'm not even going to mention the name of the runner-up from last week. I'm just really glad that Boss Haas. Is that a, the Sonics shout-out, by the way? Um mm-hmm. Did, that, bod, that boss has held the league. Uh, fandlecom slash Carlson. Uh, contest opens early Tuesday morning around 9 or 10 a.m. So get in then.
0: Get in before the get in's good. What's the Limited
1: spots available.
0: There you go. Uh, so let's get back to talking fantasy and we're still in goalies brian i'm having fun here just is the goalie show so you could name that i got your episode title right there that's not really a reference to anything Well, there's the bleeding heart show which is a very great song by the new pornographers that i like so you see the goalie show it's a very uh not a great reference also <laughs> the album the m&m show oh yeah that's true anyhow okay it would be easier with these episode titles if we had episode art to go along with each one of them oh, if someone wants to make us so a, an episode art for every single show uh that'd be pretty fun but let's talk let's go to arizona okay so one goalie who Well, actually, there was a game today by Arizona, and he did really well. I was going to say one goalie who hasn't taken advantage of a recent opportunity that was given to him is Darcy Kemper, because Ranta who i think might be approaching band-aid boy status at this point he's currently out with a lower body injury and a lot of people jumped on kemper hoping he continued the great little run that he was on after uh you know the first three games of the season he was doing really well we even talked about him on a recent podcast with arizona doing so well and kemper getting some starts with that he could be a really decent backup goalie to only. at least i did i think you poo pooed that pretty quickly but then alas he reminded everyone that he is in fact darcy kemper he led in five five and four goals in his three games last week he also played today though and i believe arizona won they beat yeah. the washington Capitals. So isn't it so crazy, fantasy hockey? Like you assume a goalie on a back to back when he's played both games, playing against the Washington Capitals, that's going to be the worst game. Turned out to be the best game. I'm sure he was on a lot of people's benches, but there you go. For as long as uh, Auntie Ranta's out, Darcy Kemper seems like a decent guy to own because this Arizona team seems pretty good though. Brian, I know that you're probably feeling pretty smug because you commented on the show, like on Facebook that he's bad. And I was suggesting to people, yeah, grab Kemper. Like Arizona's looking good. He's playing well. And you were like, nah, he's good. He's going to blow you up. And you were totally right for a lot of the games.
1: And one of the reasons I said that was because it wasn't just Darcy Kemper. It was Darcy Kemper on the road against Philadelphia, then Pittsburgh and Washington on a back-to-back. I barely want Darcy Kemper in average circumstances and, of course, want him even less in those. But it's incredible that on the second half of a back-to-back is when he decides to stop 38 of 39 shots against on the road at Washington uh, to pick up his lone win in his last three games. Uh, So you're adding him at your own risk. Next week, he's at Detroit, then at home against Nashville and Boston. So his schedule isn't a whole lot easier, except for maybe that Detroit game. Uh, hopefully, Ronta comes back soon. Elon, I'm actually curious. Where would you rank Kemper amongst the Smiths and Riddicks of the world? Because we still don't really have a sense of when Ronta's coming back.
0: No, I mean, no, it's a whole different situation. Like, Ronta will be back. He's only day-to-day, and he's the... For sure, number one goalie. So I would if if all these guys are available, give me a guy who might potentially steal the starting job like to Smith or Riddick over someone like Darcy camper Brian, come on. I don't I'm not gonna set you up to make fun of me that much. That would be crazy. Uh one reason why people might want to make fun of me is because I recommended Alex Golgoski last week. He was on a good run, but uh he didn't do so well in the couple games he played, and then he got hurt. So actually you can't be too mad at me because you ended up stashing him in your IR and you got someone else to replace him. Okay. But keep in mind, Golgoski's injured, and once he comes back, maybe he'll be someone to consider, maybe someone also just like Colin White, that maybe you want to stash in IR if you could get him and then have the opportunity to get him back once he starts playing again. Uh, Brian, so another thing that it looks like you were right and I was wrong about was my take that Corey Crawford could be a tier two guy. Like I remember Crawford came back, we had an episode of our show and I was saying, did we blow it so badly with Corey Crawford saying that he's like a tier five guy in Schmore goalies when really he should be a much higher. He had that great couple of games, but lately, he has been terrible, terrible, terrible. Car- Crawford's currently on a five-game losing streak, bringing him to a 3-6 and record, and 9-0-1 save percentage on the season. He was playing badly. The Blackhawks were playing badly. And John Quenville got fired as the coach. So I guess that's... Joel Quenville, Joel Quenville. fired. Joel yeah. Quenville. Oh, maybe let me say that again. John Quenville's a player, right? I'm not going to edit that. Whatever. People need to know what really happened on Sunday night when Elon was in Seattle. And, uh, yeah, isn't John
1: Quenville a player? I think on the New Jersey Devils. Might... Yeah, I think he played for new jersey and there is a family relation good job you... can you name the other quenvilles with nhl experience no, i definitely cannot david and peter there you go there you go well one of those quenvilles currently
0: doesn't have a job in the nhl and that is joel quenville because he was fired i wonder if crawford would have played better if quenville would still have a job it seems like this team though may just not be that good like we had all this excitement about the various d men getting shots on the top power play at the start of the season none of them to me seem worth owning at this point, like maybe Brent Seabrook, who's been holding that top power play spot. He has five points in his last 10 games, which is pretty solid. That's worth owning in a lot of leagues, but all these guys like Gustafson, Yoki Haru, Duncan Keith, they all have just three assists in each of their last 10 games. None of them getting like showing anything that makes them worth owning. I know Brian, you're like a lover of Duncan Keith, but I think in most leagues, I don't know if you'll agree with me. I say like he's droppable in most leagues. He was dropped in my cupful division and no one has added him. Uh, So, Yeah, I don't know. What else do I have to say before I I send it to you? Like the only thing I could say, I guess, is the forwards on Chicago also aren't looking that good. Like aside from, of course, Patrick Kane, who's been amazing. He has 21 points in 16 games on the season. But like all these guys, like DeBrinket, Taves, Schmaltz, like all these guys who were like doing well at the start of the year, especially DeBrinket and Taves, they've slowed down big time. Like, who are these players, Brian, are you expecting to bounce back, if any? Like, is Crawford someone you'd consider dropping if, like, a Jimmy Howard type is available? Like, how bad is Crawford, like, based on his situation? I don't know. Maybe you could just give your general thoughts on all of these Chicago guys that I've brought up. While you do that, I'm going to look up how many cupful leagues Duncan Keith is still owned in.
1: Yes, I'm not... My love affair with Duncan Keith, I was hopeful for him going into this season, and I... It's the same problem as last season, which I, I left the possibility open for, but I thought he would get enough top power play time and successful top power play time uh, to overcome at least a chunk of the adversity he now faces being essentially the one to shoulder the uh, a huge chunk of the defensive load in Chicago. Uh, look, it wasn't Joel Quenville's fault uh, that he got fired. It's insane that Quenville's the one who loses his job after making as much lemonade as he could out of the lemon of a roster That's been provided to him by Stan Bowman, who traded Panarin to acquire a six million dollar Brandon Saad, who's doing well lately, by the way, but still six million dollars Saad. And then he let go of needed defensive hands like Jalmerson, even Jordan Osterley, locked up Seabrook long term, Keith long term cap crippling long term contract. Anyway, Quenville did what he could. Uh, I'd be surprised to see any coach. Do much better, especially the new one. Well, not especially the new one, but like why would things get better in Chicago? Like Chicago was overperforming at the start of the season with uh Quenville, and Crawford was overperforming with them, or maybe just performing. And now he had a poor run, uh, but Chicago has no choice but to lean on their goalie. It's not his fault. Uh I I still think Crawford is probably going to win about as many games as Howard with a better save percentage. So I would still prefer him if you can ride out this slump. As for other Chicago players, uh, Patrick Kane, we should mention, is playing on both power plays at the moment. He's saw 97% of Chicago's power play minutes on Saturday at Philadelphia. And it's not just because the top unit got all the time. Uh, He played on on both units uh, the second uh, two games ago as well. Um, And the other guys you mentioned, Elon, uh, like Taves and Schmaltz, they'll all bounce backs where I think we initially projected uh, this is a lower point than they deserve to be at right now for all the Chicago players, just as they were at higher points than they deserved before. The one Chicago player I would like to buy low on is Alex Debrinkit, who I think has a a higher capacity to bounce back uh, or at least higher upside once he does bounce back than anyone else on the roster.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Now would be a really good time to make a trade offer to an Alex Dobrynkit owner. Maybe like if you have a, I don't know, like a Brady Kachuk. Do you, I don't know. I, I am throwing out names. They tweeted us at Kevin Carlson. I would I love, do that. Yeah, I'm not sure if I... Oh, well, it depends also on the categories for your league. But yeah, for offense, I think... Alex Debrinket, he showed us that he has the capacity to be really, really good. We were high on him going into the season, and he could, you know, he's still on top power play with Patrick Kane, and I guess not playing on a line with him, but playing with Jonathan Taves. So it's a good spot for him, and it'll be fun to watch and see if the Chicago team could do anything to bounce back, or maybe they're going to be tumbling down to maybe a candidate to get that number one draft pick. Because some of the teams that we thought were going to be really bad are doing okay, like Vancouver and Detroit and Ottawa winning some games. Montreal would be winning more games if Carey Price knew how to stop a puck. Uh, so, okay, that's it for the goalie talk. Let's go to some injuries and outgeries. Now, I wanted to mention that Brock Besser is dealing with a groin injury. He's week to week. They're saying he's going to have a full recovery. Like, it's not going to be a super long-term thing. Still, tough break. Like, he had that big four-point game versus Colorado a couple weeks ago. That's the last game he played. So, it would have been nice to see how he could have continued after that. The top line yesterday for Vancouver was Pedersen, Jake Vertanen, and Nikolai Gold dobin goldie as i've been calling him and i don't know if anyone else does but i just like that and you know it reminds me of You know, goldie do you love me i'm going really off the rails here but like goldie had a three had three a three game point streak broken yesterday versus buffalo though he did take three shots gold dobin has six assists in his last six games now you've got jake Vertanen, though i think he's getting all the buzz lately he scored for the second game in a row and took six shots Yesterday, he has five goals in his last six games. Another guy in Vancouver to keep your eye on, Louis Erickson, is looking like maybe he's making, doing something that is similar to what uh, was expected as a return for Tyler Sagan. I don't know, but he has two straight multi-point games and four goals and three assists in his last four games overall, which is insane. So if, if you streamed in Louis Erickson last week, you're really benefited from it. Brian, how would you rank these three Canucks forwards if people want to stream one in for the Canucks four games next week of Vertanen, Goldobin, and Louis Erickson?
1: I would rank them Goldobin, Vertanen, and Louis Erickson. Shotgun Jake, causing tall boy sales to spike with five goals on 20 shots over his last six. Uh, so that might be a reason to want him a little more than Goldobin. Uh, because, look, five goals on 20 shots, not a sustainable shooting percentage. But a new trick that Vertanen has added to his game on this streak is that he's actually taking shots on a consistent basis. Jake has taken at least two shots in five of these last six games he's played, and he'd only done that four times in his first 12 games. So look, the goals aren't going to keep coming at this rate for shotgun Jake, but if he keeps racking up shots on goal, then they will come at least a little more often than they have in the past, and then Vertanen will be able to help your team a little more, even on nights when he doesn't score a goal. But I still want the guy playing with Pedersen. I'll go gold
0: Well, like I said, it's been Vertanen and Goldobin playing with <laughs> Yeah, <Patterson.
1: laughs> I realized that just as I said it. I don't know. I think Goldobin's got better upside.
0: Yeah. I, you got to watch the power play also. Uh after Monday and Tuesday, it might I might I got to drop someone to bring Brady Kachukin on Thursday. So Goldobin, I have my roster I've really enjoyed having him. It's going to be a tough choice. Uh yeah, like uh, it's pretty exciting to be seeing the Canucks scoring all these goals and like even from the defensive so now we like I remember when uh Alex Edler got injured we were talking about Derek Pouliot who it seemed like he was gonna be getting the top power play he's been getting it but he's been doing nothing Ben Hutton actually has been also getting a lot of power play time himself and he has five points in his last six games but of course uh, because hockey's weird the defenseman on Vancouver that's been getting the most points lately is Eric Goodbranson who's currently riding a five game point streak no power play time to speak of but he's piling on the points Brian who is this guy Eric Goodbranson no there's no chance he keeps this up right
1: you must not be on Canucks Twitter too often to know, to not know who Eric Goodbranson is. Eric Goodbranson, uh, to summarize, is every bad general manager's favorite defenseman. He's got natural size or something like that. Uh, he's from Ottawa. He was drafted third overall in 2010. Uh, third overall, yeah, in a draft that saw teams miss on nearly every defenseman taken in the first round. Other defensemen taking the first round in 2010 Dylan McElrath, Brandon Gormley, Tarek Forbert. Jared Tenorti, mike Pissick. uh those are those are the misses, although you could argue that Pissick and forbit are serviceable guys, but they're misses in the first round. cam Fowler, the lone defenseman taken in, in the first round who might have justified his draft position anyway, good Branson, I spent more time talking about his draft class than him because he's not very good, and this point streak will not continue
0: so you're you mean to say good Branson more like bad Branson
1: more like goodbye
0: okay <laughs> uh <laughs> another. Okay, we're we're doing our best here. Okay, we're an hour into hour and a half into a fantasy. Are you team
1: goodbye or team bad Branson?
0: Yeah, hashtag. Let us know on Twitter, Brian. A lot of people were team Elon for something that we talked about last week, and now I forget what it was. But I said,
1: by the way, if you ever have your tweet. Liked by the Keeping Carlson Twitter account, that just means that Elon agreed. Like, you, you're you agreeing with what Elon has said. If your tweet goes unliked, it's because you're presenting my opinion, which I notice and appreciate.
0: Oh, actually, no, you know what? I, you're I know very what preferential
1: was- in your liking
0: hey, why not? I, I like what I like. Okay. And actually I remember what it was because it was back uh, in that last episode, you were saying Robbie Fabry and I said, oh, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's Fabry. And then I said, hashtag team Elon or hashtag team <laughs> Brian. And a couple people were- I was wrong.
1: You were I, wrong. Yeah. I was
0: wrong about that. Yeah, but Although I think, episode, I think once
1: upon a time I was right. And then I flipped it.
0: Well, you got to get your head together. Okay. Like yeah. I think this episode though, we've been perfect. I don't think we've said one name incorrect. Uh, at me- At me if you disagree. Okay, uh, let's talk about an outtory now. Victor Hedman has returned for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He came back yesterday. He got back on the top power play, and he scored a power play goal in that 6-4 loss to the Sens. I feel like the buy low window is probably closed now. Hedman had owned those four points in nine games before getting hurt, but he's back, scored a goal. So if you could have gotten him or if you did get him while he was hurt and having a, a slow start to the season, then congratulations to you, Brian. But, of course, the Lightning player I need to ask you about is this rookie, Matthew Joseph who had two goals and one assist yesterday after picking up a couple of goals in his previous 3 games as well this guy's getting low ice time again let me repeat this matthew joseph because i'm sure no one knows who this guy is uh yeah lo- low ice time bottom 6 deployment no power play time i'll ask you who this guy is but i'm totally expecting that you're going to give me a similar answer to good branson on the canucks as someone not worth owning just by looking at this deployment who is this guy
1: the question is, where do these guys keep coming from on Tampa? Now we have Matthew Joseph, who joins Sorelli and Yanni Gord. It suddenly impact, at least briefly, NHLers who've come out of apparently nowhere. Matthew Joseph, uh, born in Laval, was drafted 120th overall back in 2015 and is just entering his second pro season. In his first pro season, he put up 15 goals, 38 assists for 53 points in 71 games, plus seven points in seven playoff games for AHL Syracuse. I should have clarified right at the start that that was all in the AHL, that production. Uh, Joseph has now scored on four consecutive shots. That's right. Four shots, four goals in his last four games. So not great that it takes him four games to get four shots. And uh, even though his shot numbers had actually been a little healthier before this run, uh, now I guess Joseph is like, oh, that worked. And he's getting super picky about which shots he takes. Only wants to take the shots that are going to go in. So he misses 0% of the shots that he does take or something like that. Um, Also four of Joseph's last five points have come against Ottawa. So we can adjust that to like two actual points, right? Just kidding. Sorry, it's been a tough season for Sens fans. Um, Anyway, cool. Uh, Good job, Matthew Joseph. Uh, I've been wrong about Yanni Gord for two years now. Uh, So me just saying this is temporary for Matthew Joseph, uh, feel free to jump on him anyway, just to spite me and to say, hey, uh, Brian, you've been wrong about Yanni Gord all this time. I am not listening to what you say about any Tampa player.
0: (laughs) Okay, Yanni Gord, so good. Have you changed your mind about him? Do you agree now that he's like going to be like a 65, 70 point guy?
1: No. Uh.
0: (laughs) You're wrong. But okay, fine. He plays a brain in point. What what more do we need to say?
1: Uh, by the way also you know i'm sure there's Maybe. a lot of people with- i'm close i'm closer now than i was before sorry to interrupt i'm playing with Braden point is a great place to be but he's still doing it on percentages that shouldn't be sustainable but somehow have been yeah
0: i guess so anyways it's too late now everyone's already lost out on him if they listen to you so <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter uh, brian also i feel like some listeners are probably being like brian stop whining like it hasn't been that hard of a season for the Sens. they're they're doing better than a lot of people expected all right so uh enjoy the ride okay
1: thomas shabbat it, it's okay? not just on the ice that matters oh.
0: Okay, of course. Well, for yeah, I get you. Uh, let's go to Vegas now and talk about Max Pacioretty, who returned to the Golden Knights last week to continue his terrible season. He took a break from his terrible season. Now he's back to continue it. Uh, no points in three games since returning, up to two goals and no assists in 13 games overall. And that's actually before today's game. Vegas is losing to Boston 3-1. to And actually, I'm seeing that Cody Eakin scored a goal, and I believe he has been centering the Pacioretty line uh, what do you want to, you want to guess whether or not Pachi already got a point on that
1: goal? I already know. Alex Tuck got the lone assist on that goal. <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe uh, Pacioretty was on the ice, so that's something. But yeah, like this is not going well for him. And like Pacioretty, to his credit, he took nine shots yesterday but couldn't get one past Carey Price. Every single other player on the team was getting everything past Carey Price. Pacioretty couldn't. So yeah, like I said, he's been playing on the second line with Alex Tuck and Cody Eakin because Eric Howla is out. He had a scary lower body injury on Tuesday. He got stretchered off the ice. So good luck to Eric Howla. I hope you get better soon. Uh, Pacioretty did, though, get his top power play spot back, actually, and he didn't bump Alex Tuck to get it. William Carlson has jumped to the second power play, though that power play has actually been getting a decent amount of ice time. Shea Theodore also went to the second power play, and Colin Miller got on the top one, and Theodore and Carlson got power play points. So, You know, I wouldn't be too concerned about this power play situation. But, you know, speaking of Alex Tuck, he's been on fire since his debut. His goal yesterday was his eighth point in nine games. And now, like you just said, he had an assist today. So make that nine points in 10 games. Both myself and my BFF, Daniel Negron, you said we'd prefer Tuck to Pacioretty a couple weeks ago. And you said you'd want Pacioretty, And the Daniel tweeted at us saying that he bets you that you'll change your mind before the season is over. Right? Uh, are we at that point yet? Like, do we have to wait till the season is over? Like, uh, come on, you gotta want Tuck more than Patcheretti,
1: right? Like, Tuck's getting points every game. ready can't do anything. Daniel also generously put up two tickets to a Vegas Golden Knights game. Should I be right, or wait. should he be wrong? I guess would be the frame.
0: Who gets it? You for you and me?
1: No, for for some lucky listener.
0: Oh, okay. Well, someone's I, getting these tickets. Uh,
1: I, I, I get no. That's if I'm wrong. You of course are wrong. Oh, I thought it that was just I'm like right. If it, Oh, my gosh. I need to review the terms of this bet. I, I told him I would send him a shirt if I was wrong about Pacioretty. So he's going to make the tickets available if he's wrong about Tuck. So our listeners should be cheering for me and Max Pacioretty. Uh, but if I wanted to change my mind, I, I haven't had like on on whether I think Pacioretty or Tuck is going to be better. Um, well, I actually kind of changed my mind instantly after making the bet with Daniel when I realized I'd misread Patch's expected goals for numbers in a way that flattered him uh, more than he deserved. And like flipped the script with me saying his expected goals numbers are fine. They're actually up over the last couple of years. No, they're still in decline. But I also said at the time that Patch Reddy, when I realized that, that Patch Reddy, his route to exceeding tuck and fantasy relevance was going to have to involve him making his way back onto the top power play which he's done so we're, we're on our way and Patricktraetti also needs to see his on ice shooting percentage climb to some respectable level right now or going into tonight's game it's sat at two percent two out of every 100 shots taken at five on five while patretti was on the ice at going in maybe he's killing the offense in a way that would just be ins- like one player does not have that much impact on a team's on ice shooting percentage. So I still have some hope. I don't know that I'm ready to put Tuck ahead of Patches in fantasy relevance at the end of the season. But in this moment, Tuck is probably the better own until Patch Ready does something, which I still clearly have faith or hope that he will uh, have been able to do something in time for me to win my bet against Daniel Negranu, a guy who bets for a living. Oh God, what okay. have I done?
0: Also, like, I believe it was Daniel who, like, uh, he gave the reason why Pacioretty is the sole reason for the low on-ice shooting percentage, right? He shoots too much. He never passes. And it's infuriating as a Golden Knights fan.
1: Yeah, I don't think he's so in control of that on-ice shooting percentage. I get the argument. I'm still, I'm holding out hope. But I, I realize that my my odds are shrinking with every passing day
0: yeah anyways alex tuck whatever so if you want to hold on to patch already have fun with that if your league counts shots he's helping you there uh even though they're apparently bad shots that are lot not likely to go in uh alex tuck on the meantime uh, on the other hand like if he's available in your league like you're running out of time you have to add him he's only 22 percent owned in yahoo which is nuts considering he's getting points almost every game he's 100 percent owned in the Cupful, of course i wish i had him I have him in one league at least but yeah alex tuck is in a great spot and he's producing and this is only like a second season so that we You may have a really strong career for this Alex Tuck over the next few years. I feel like this is maybe your last chance to get him. Uh, as a free agent maybe ever right or for a very long time so grab him if he's available as a free agent in your league brian at least i know you're not going to disagree with me on that i'm not even going to ask you i'm going to move on to the next out jury, which is ty raddy who finally returned to the oilers on tuesday he got back to not only the top line with Connor mcdavid but also the top power play he bumped milan lucic finally lucic got bumped from that top power play and raddy had a power play assist on tuesday nothing on thursday but gotta imagine he's someone that you need to seriously consider adding just with, because he has this deployment right
1: yeah, you should seriously consider owning Ty Ratty. Although if you already do, uh, like I do, I bet you're kind of annoyed that Ratty came off injured reserve only to get scratched for a couple games and burn a roster spot and then not do much uh, like to really redeem those missed games yet. But of course, uh, you want anyone playing with McDavid and that's what Ty Ratty is doing. So hold on for now. Uh, I've got him on one roster. I'll admit though that I am keeping the leash pretty short. If he gets knocked off that top line, Forget it. But the fact that the Oilers sent down uh, Kyler Yamamoto and Jesse Pool yarvey makes me feel like there are even fewer options now than before to bump Ty off of that top line
0: yeah he's gonna be there at least like you know at least a few games and he'll have to be really terrible to get bumped i'd I'd imagine uh plus remember over the summer Connor mcdavid said he wants a consistent line it's not you know it's no one's fault that ty got injured so now hopefully he'll be back and they could get something going ryan injured hopkins having a great season just like we predicted and let's see if ty can come along for the ride let's go to the rangers now matt zuccarello is injured he's missed the last couple of games with a groin strain i just read though recently that he might even be back as early as tomorrow so this might be moot though it is still worth talking about because the big beneficiary of Zuccarello being out has been Pavel Bucinevich, who got his line one and power play one spot back and playing with Mika's advantage who's amazing, and Bucinevich has taken advantage. Like, when he gets good deployment, he gets points. This is pretty consistent, right? He had a goal and an assist yesterday. He has three goals and three assists in his last six games. I feel like if Pavel Bucinevich is in free agency, you've got, like, he's another guy I'd be seriously considering adding and I think he is in free agency in a lot of leagues because he had that really short stretch of course the reason to not add him would be because Zuccarello will come back and maybe bump Booch back to the bottom six or wherever the coach likes to send him whenever he gets the opportunity it seems but you know maybe with Buchnevich producing right now maybe he gets to stay playing with Zibanejad he clearly produces when he's
1: there so Zuccarello could be back Monday which could mean this is all over before it starts for Buchnevich really but what I hope it means is what you were getting at Elon is that Buchnevich has yet again shown that he can do good things when given good minutes and that this most recent demonstration of his keeps his coach from submarining his deployment the moment Zuccarello re-enters the lineup I really also like Buchnevich's seven shots in his last three games I'm not sure he'll keep taking them at that rate but it would be nice I am keeping my fingers crossed I'm knocking on wood that that Buchnevich can hold on to this good deployment because, well, he he seems to have earned it, but that hasn't stopped other coaches and this coach from burying him in the past anyway.
0: Well, oh, yeah, I think it was more for defensive liability issues, right? Like he's shown that he can score offensively, but you also- no, for- he's
1: also proven himself to be responsible defensively.
0: Oh, well, there you go. So keep him there. Like, I think Nemestikov's been playing on the line on, on the top line, like bump him and then play Bucinevich with zabanjad and Zucarillo. Easy, right? But I think they're trying to showcase it- uh, Who am I talking about? Nemesnikov, you know, for a potential trade. So, like, the thing with the Rangers or for any of these teams, it's tough when a team isn't incentivized to win. Like, the Rangers know they're not a contender. So maybe it's not in their best interest to play their best possible lines for various reasons, like showcasing people for a trade or trying to get a better draft pick. Who knows? Uh, Another guy on the Rangers that I really want to bring up, I was actually all prepared going into the weekend. I was going to ask you for permission to finally let our listeners drop Kevin Shattenkirk from their leagues, because he had only three points in his first 14 games, but now he's got points in each of his last two games, and he's been seeing over 50% of the power play time in each of his last six games. Sometimes not on the top power play, but I guess in those games, you know, he's still getting more ice time overall. I don't know, like Shattenkirk seems to be a little bit back on track at this point, so maybe you were right all along again, and maybe I was wrong all along again. Like, this is the episode where, Brian, you're looking really good, and I'm looking really bad, except for this Alex Tuck thing, though, who knows, maybe in a few weeks, maybe this is just a of things to come where i'm going to be coming back with my head between my le- tail between my legs about alex tuck and patran and uh ugh, <laughs> but i don't expect that to happen Who am I, what am i talking about here kevin shattenkirk okay
1: yeah you well you it? said like i was right and you were wrong but for anyone who's held by my advice the last three weeks in a weekly league I, like they've suffered right you were right until now and you still might not be wrong
0: Yeah, so good point. But Shattenkirk, if he was dropped in your league, which he may very well have been, now's the time to consider adding him back because he has all that upside as, you know, he should be, you'd expect him to be a top power play guy. He used to be like a 55, 60 point guy. And now that he's gotten points in each of his last two games, I feel like you got to add him.
1: Yes, you do. And just because Kevin Shattenkirk has been too good to suddenly disappear at this point in his career, he's still 29. He turns 30 in late January. His shot rates remain healthy. Shattenkirk is just hurting a lot on the power play. But now that that deployment has come back, hopefully we'll see his 6% on ice shooting percentage on the power play at least double the way it should so that Shattenkirk can see the scoring success that he's going to need to hold that spot and that he's capable of quarterbacking.
0: And by the way, not to say that Neil Pionk is done. Like he had a goal in three straight games before going pointless yesterday against Columbus. So I'm not saying everyone needs to drop Neil Pionk all of a sudden, but maybe you want to hold both if you can for a little while until like that gets settled. Or maybe they'll just both be useful owns in fantasy. that happens. Sometimes teams have two defensemen worth owning. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, let's go to a team now okay so we're outside of injuries and outries now just into our general we're going to wrap up the show with some line combo stuff hot streaks cold streaks has anyone noticed that sam gerrard has bumped tyson barry from the top power play for the last four games in colorado like wtf jared bednar i do not like this one bit like why would this happen sam Girard, okay he has one power play assist, two assists overall in that span so he's been okay and barry by the way he's been good Like, he has at least an, an assist in five of his last six games so overall his numbers haven't been hurt but of course no power play points since the demo and it's like what's going on like this is the type of the Tyson Barry was someone that people drafted assuming like there was not even a question that he was going to run the top power play with McKinnon and Rantanen and Landeskog and and, you know like potentially get 60 maybe have upside for 70 points like I talked about him as a guy like a buy low even though he was doing well just because I saw that he wasn't even scoring on as many of his shots that he should be and now all of a sudden like sam gerard gets that spot so Brian, like have you seen anything to explain why this is happening should barry owners be concerned or is this just going to end very quickly because it's ridiculous
1: well gerard is the heir apparent to that top power play uh, the moment barry moves on which at times has seemed imminently about to happen uh, it hasn't happened yet obviously one thing that bugs me about gerard being in this spot is that Like he's still not taking shots, which has been the knock on him all this time. That there's upside for points, but no shots while you're waiting for them. Girard has just 20 shots in 16 games so far this season. And four of those came in Colorado's most recent game against Winnipeg. Two games before, two games ago, Girard had more than three minutes of power play time and only took one shot. Uh, Unfortunately, as for the reasons why this has happened, the Avs are kind of an undercovered team in teams of there being good info out there about why the switch has happened or how long it will last. I haven't found it. If anybody else has found any reporting on this, please tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Um, But I guess my advice is like Haskinen, Sam Girard is someone worth owning while he's playing up on such a really good top power play unit. Elon, last week, you said buy low on Tyson Barry. I disagreed with you that his value was actually low, though. But this week, it sure feels like it's low. Would you still buy low on Tyson Barry?
0: Yeah, well, again, like this is also in the Patreon cast, I think, Brian, not in the regular ah, show. So okay. most listeners don't know about that. But yeah, I was just saying, like, you know, because people ask, like, who's a buy? You know, we get great questions. I, I said I was going to use my stupid voice, but I like that question, actually. Like, who's a good buy low? Who's a good sell high? That's a question we get for almost every Patreon cast we do, which is a bonus podcast we do every single month for the patrons. And you could get more information at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But yeah, we were asked who's a buy low. And, you know, I could obviously say someone who's just not doing well, but I thought a fun answer would be someone like Tyson Barry, who was doing fine, but I thought could be doing even better, like I just, said, just because he was not scoring many goals. Goals. He was getting assists but not scoring goals, and you could expect him to score some more goals. He had goals last year. Uh, now, obviously, uh, now is a good time to get Tyson Barry. Just be, un- unless we see really a, a reason to expect that Sam Girard is just going to hold the spot the rest of the year, I'm still under the assumption that maybe Barry's being taught a lesson or something, and at some point he's going to get that spot back. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I don't really have an answer for you, Brian. Like, try to get Barry if you can. I think he's still and he's still getting points. That's the fun thing. At least for now, he's getting points, just not on the power play. We had a question in our chat room here from our Alex Tuck conversation. Mike asked Tuck or Pominville. I said Tuck. I think it's actually an easy answer. One thing to keep in mind Pominville's been great. We talked about how everyone was a genius if they added him. Uh, he was not on the top power play for Buffalo in their last game. They we were with Octoso, uh, Eichel, Reinhardt, and Jeff Skinner, and Rast- Ristolainen, Leiden, by the way. So Dalina has, has also been bumped from the top power play. And so Pominville's still on the top line with Eichel and Skinner, but I still kind of feel like at some point, like hold Pominville for now, but I still feel like at some point, Sam Reinhardt is going to get back on the top line. He was the guy that was supposed to be a lock to play with Eichel all season long. So, Give me Alex Tuck there. Do you agree?
1: I agree. I have a little more faith like you in Alex Tuck's season-long deployment. Although Pominfield fitting in so well on that top line in Buffalo, you do start to wonder just how long he can last there. He's already lasted longer than Connor Sherry did. I think I haven't actually counted up the game. Yeah, I think but, so. But like he's made it farther than we would have thought when we first saw him on that line.
0: Yeah, sometimes these questions are tough, right? Like Tucker, Pommenville. Like I feel like in most leagues, they should both be owned. Like my question is like almost like, do you have another option? Like, or congratulations for having such an amazing team where you'd have to drop Pommenville to add Alex Tuck. Though I guess if Alex Tuck is available, it's obviously a pretty shallow league. Okay, another shakeup on the New York Islanders. Matt Barzell has replaced Brock Nelson as the guy centering Anders Lee and Josh Bailey. So now it's been top line. Barzel with Lee and Bailey and then Anthony Beauvillier was bumped from the top six completely. So Brock Nelson was centering a line with Jordan Eberle and Tom Kunackle of all people. So this is not great news for Jordan Eberle, who goes from playing with Barzel to playing with Kunackle and Nelson. Eberle is pointless in three in a row now. Uh, Nelson has actually been on a pretty good run, eight points in his last nine games, including a goal yesterday versus Florida. But like with this deployment, I feel like both of them might be in some trouble, especially like at this point, Jordan Eberly, who you would have assumed is the guy you want to have for sure over Brock Nelson. At this point, I think we can start suggesting that people might want to consider dropping Jordan Eberle, especially in shallow leagues, like he's not doing well. And now his deployment is garbage. Still on top power play, but, you know, I shouldn't say garbage, but, you know, like we were hoping that he would play with at least one of, like either play with Barzel or be playing, if he's playing with Nelson, then also with like Lee or Bailey.
1: I do want Eberle playing with somebody better than Brock Nelson as the other guy who can drive offense. I don't know that either one of those two can drive their own line. And Tom kuhn is the third piece Uh, obviously isn't moving the needle a whole lot for them offensively. I like I'm not going to make any rash decisions on Eberly based on this configuration uh, of of their lineup, because this is like you said, like this is the third, maybe even fourth time we've seen the line shaken up in a sort of big way in Long Island this season. But some of the shine certainly comes off of Eberly If you were hoping for production from him this week, um, he does remain on the top power play, though. So that's the silver lining. That's your reason to keep the faith that uh, or at least to hang on. Hope he can get you some production on that top power play uh to stave va- off to, to i don't know keep you happy until he ends up on a better line again or or like maybe he's just not that good like maybe he's gonna get bumped from the top power play soon like everly hasn't been
0: that great this season right we have to admit it
1: yes so absolutely if he gets bumped off that top power play and he's playing with brock nelson and tom Kunagle, he's not someone you probably want
0: okay uh, the next team I wanted to talk about that have shifted up their lines Nick Ehlers uh, actually a lot of people have been asking us if they can drop Nick Ehlers since pretty much the start of the season most recently new patron Ryan and at M Miller photo on Twitter both asked us for permission hey guys can I drop Nick Ehlers already luckily our reluctance to tell people to pull that trigger I believe for a couple of the recent times I just was like we'll talk about him on the next show at least you know buy us some time until Sunday and like now uh, we've been rewarded and the people who've held on to him have been rewarded as Ehlers has a goal in each of his last two games he's been playing on the top line with Wheeler and Shifley and actually when I say the last two games I'm not even including today's game Winnipeg won five to two over New Jersey I'd assume Ehlers did something hey one goal one assist so Ehlers is on a really nice run right now if he was dropped in your league I feel like it's time to add him Uh, still not on the top power play but if he's playing with Wheeler and Shifley, that's a great spot to be in he's obviously a really good player he was cold for a while but now he's hot and that's why you hold on to someone with a high pedigree like Nick Ehlers if he's in a good spot on the roster
1: Yeah, exactly. I remember Ehlers having a really dry spell or two last season and I was in a shallow enough league that I streamed him in and out uh, as he ran hot and cold. But if you don't have that ability uh, to sort of relieve the, the upset while Ehlers is cold you just kind of have to hold him, especially with him coming alive uh, with two goals and two games on his last six shots that was going into tonight's action. One thing not to like about Ehlers though, is that his shot rates have sunken since last year and it shows in his counting numbers. Uh, Ehlers averaged about three shots per game last season, but this year just over two shots per game. Uh, So he's not one of the funner fantasy owns. He's a guy I don't love drafting because he does go cold and he doesn't get top power play time. But if you do, draft him uh, you just kind of have to hold him because the upside once he gets rolling is high
0: one jet that i think we can definitely tell people that they can drop is josh morrissey right like the days of him getting the top power play are long gone he had an assist on friday versus colorado but that was his first point in seven games i guess i might as well check and see what morrissey did today no points again so yeah at one point everyone was adding morrissey and getting excited about him but bufflin's the clear top power play guy morrissey waiver wire fodder
1: waiver wire fodder for sure not an awful guy josh morrissey for peripherals he usually puts up a total of five combined shots slash hits shots block slash blocks for what that's worth in your format so uh eh, not worthless in bangers leagues but worthless in points leagues okay and another player we're getting a
0: lot of drop permission requests for is dougie hamilton over on carolina like ehlers hamilton scored in his last game but he's still off the top power play and only has six points in 17 games on the year. He's been getting less than 20 minutes of ice time in each of his last three games. Brian, are you like seeing anything in Dougie Hamilton's numbers or play that tells you that he's going to bounce back anytime soon? Or can we start giving people permission to consider dropping him if an appealing defenseman shows up in free agency? Like maybe like Kevin Shattenkirk was dropped, maybe at this point you're like, oh, I'd rather take Shattenkirk, who's actually doing something right now, rather than Dougie Hamilton.
1: The cruel thing about Dougie Hamilton, beyond him not having an opportunity or sustained opportunity on the top power play yet, is that Hamilton is actually generating more shots and shot attempts than he ever has before at 5-on-5. But unfortunately, he's playing 90 seconds less per night at 5-on-5. And his IPP is 33% when he should be in the mid-40s or closer to 50. And his online shooting percentage looks vintage Carolina down at 5.5%. So I expect things to turn in a good way for Dougie Hamilton at five on five. And it's not a dissimilar story with Hamilton's production and poor variance on the power play. So even if Hamilton stays on the second power play unit, he's still a 45 point guy in my books with upside for more. If variance doesn't just even out, but also works in his favor, not to mention the ongoing possibility that Hamilton does one day find himself playing on a power play unit with Sebastian Ajo and Tovo Terravinen uh, So I like dropping for Shattenkirk is a really great question. If your league values power play points, I would make that switch. If it doesn't, I'd, call it even at this point
0: what if your league counts points okay yes you're saying it's even uh yeah like dougie hamilton the thing
1: is a good general fantasy strategy
0: also is you have to know your league right maybe you could drop him and then be the first one to add him back if some deployment change happens like just be really quick on the trigger to add him back but yeah not looking good for him and i brian i have a new policy to suggest moving forward like no more drafting defensemen who've been traded to new teams in the offseason like at least when a forward has been traded there's a lot more spots for him there's there's more power play spots available there's more top six spots available like i you know we've got eric Carlson and Dougie Hamilton both went to new teams we assumed a certain deployment for them and both of them haven't gotten it right like with Carlson like Brent Burns seems to be getting more of the power play time for a lot of the games so yeah I think moving forward for me at least I'm not going to be drafting these defensemen who get traded assuming that they're going to be just as good as they were before because you never know if they're going to get that top power play and get all the minutes that they used to get Ugh, very frustrating for the people. Like the risk just doesn't seem worth the investment. Like obviously they fall in drafts. If everyone's following this policy, at some point you want to draft one of these guys. But like Hamilton and and, Cop- and uh Eric Carlson both seem to have been drafted a little too early this year, and perhaps they should not have been, since there was so much risk that we didn't know where they were going to fit in on their teams. Brian, let's end the show. We've another point we've got a bunch of questions about is Andre kopitar He is pointless in three games. He has a sad six points in 15 games on the year. This guy had 92 points last season. Kopitar had 92 points last season. Now, like I said, he's on pace for like one of his worst seasons ever, though the year before he wasn't great. He had 52 points the year before. Then he had 74 points the year before that, 64 points the year before that. Like, kopitar has been all over the place i kind of feel like there's a lesson to be learned here as well right like maybe you don't want to draft a player that's been wildly changing his point production every single year and then you know maybe don't draft him based on what he did on the last season as we've been seeing from kopitar that he's just so inconsistent
1: so i'm gonna give a shout out to our patron michael uh h-c-h-a-y-m-o-s on twitter if you want to follow him uh Uh, that's just my thank you for his contributions here who answered in our patrons only facebook groups a question someone had asked about anze kopitar and provided all the numbers to show uh that kopitar has been someone from 2013 through to 2016 who was weak at the start of the season and then uh became a point per game or near point per game player essentially in the second half or around like the 25 30 game mark uh And last year, Kopitar was great all the way through. And uh, this year, I just don't know what we can hope for. If we can hope for that same trend to continue from the four years prior to last year, where you could say, yeah, just hang on. Kopitar is going to get going. Don't worry about it. I'm a little more worried for Kopitar than usual. Just seems like too large a load is being placed on Kopitar's shoulders in LA. The guy can only carry a team for so long. I still would wait on him if I owned him because what else can you do? And his dreadful 30% IPP suggests better times are ahead in some respects. He only has two assists so far. What is that? But that's the only marker that's far too low right now. That IPP, the rest is looking, eh, like it could sustain. Like he doesn't deserve a whole lot more points than he has. So uh, like, I'm definitely not giving up on the possibility that Kopitar could be a point per game player second half, but I think... That's a greater challenge in this context in this season than it has been for him in the past. And uh, I'm not banking on him quite as much to be able to do it. Frankly, I'll be happy if he can at some point this year uh, start producing at like a 65, 70 point pace.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel like Kopitar, like you say, like he has upside to potentially play at a point where game pace for any stretch uh, at some point during the season. So I feel like if you drafted him, you could sort of say, oh, shame on me, kind of blew it. But I would definitely hold on. I wouldn't, like, trade low, like, you know, try to get someone crappy for him just to get someone like I think that I would hold on hope for the best and then you know reassess next year when it's time to draft but at this point yeah, hope Kopitar if you have him and then just be mad at yourself hate yourself be on tilt that's what it's sometimes like to play fantasy hockey don't draft him in your FanDuel leagues so you can have a short break from not having to depend on Andre Kopitar but Brian okay that's it for this week what a fun show I feel like we've covered so many players I hope you all enjoyed it on the goalie show at first and then we gave you a bunch of free agents to consider and a bunch of players that you might want to think of dropping if you enjoyed the show we'd of course always love to hear about it on twitter at keeping carlson let us know what you like what you didn't like and if you really like the show a five-star review on itunes is always very very much appreciated we have i mentioned it before our patron program if you are a super avid fantasy hockey player or a fan of our show why not consider paying five dollars a month to support this podcast and also get a boatload of perks we've got our monthly patron cast we've got our keeping carlson patron only facebook group which is active all the time a lot of really smart people giving great advice and thanks to all the patrons in that facebook group who are helping make it such a great community for everyone there uh we've got stream scheme there's going to be a new one out tonight i'm going to release it right after we're done recording this episode so that's a bonus show just for patrons made by the great dave betton we've got uh like the average time on ice guys are there uh, i don't know i i just love uh, marcus and his percentage owned in the couple spreadsheet he shares that for the patrons so check it out com slash patron and you can see all of the benefits of supporting our show but with that brian how about we cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits
1: all right. Great job, Elon, by the way. You were fantastic tonight in a new and strange environment. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Patrick A., Jim N., Christopher C., and Brandon B. Uh, this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Statric, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey.